This is Unfilter, episode 248 for August 23rd, 2017. Good evening. I'm Chuck Todd here in Washington. Welcome to MTP Daily. Folks, what I just saw gave me the wrong kind of chills. Honestly, I'm a bit shaken from what I just heard and suspect it's not just me. Moments ago at Trump Tower, the president of the United States painted white nationalists and members of the alt-right as victims of what he described as club-wielding members of the alt-left. It was a chilling mix of whataboutism, false equivalence, and a total muddying of the waters after one person was killed and at least 19 were injured when members of the KKK, neo-Nazis, and white supremacists protested the removal of a Confederate statue in Charlottesville. Where to begin? You might as well start with the president painting these white nationalist protesters as the real victims of a violent left-wing movement. That's right. The world did not end after the total eclipse. We are still here, even though are we? The, the world is kind of surreal in its own ghosts, right. Dude, maybe we're ghosts. <laughs> Welcome again to an episode of Unfiltered, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly show about the news you shouldn't be watching. That voice that you heard from the great beyond, from the other side, the dark side of the moon, is Mr. Chris Fisher. Hey, buddy. Uh, and I'm Chase. Hey, buddy. So, so uh, I made it. I survived. I, I made it through the solar eclipse. Yes. Where did you end up going? We went down just north of Lincoln City. So a lot of people headed down there. Mm-hmm. How was uh, the trip home? <laughs> it was good. It was good. It was. It was all right. You know. Uh, it was. It all made for a great vlog. Not uh, to plug plug right here at the very top, but I just you, published you, it this morning. Uh, the blog that the you vlog. might find over at uh, youtubecom slash Chris Fisher. That would you be the that one, buddy. One? That would be. The, I that's should get a, you to do a stinger for me. You know? <laughs> <laughs> so Chase, that's not what we're here to talk no, about. No, no. Actually, Ooh. there's not really much to talk no, about. No, especially after we had um, a we had a private patron only episode last week. So we focused. Focused in on like five stories. By total. the way, that intro you definitely like that? definitely gave me a, a Woody. Wor- it, it was really good. Worth the patron entrance alone. <laughs> it it right? was. Um, yes, so what do you good. say? We got uh, we have we have a really brief cyber in Russia segment today. Always got a start. I definitely want to talk about uh, the outing of Bannon, and then um, I think we could take uh, we could take an, we covered Charlottesville the the actual incident in the patron only episode. But there's still developments post that episode, specifically around the way Trump's handled the whole thing. So I thought we'd talk about that. Yep. Uh, there's a huge update that I think is actually the biggest story of the week that we got to talk about. And then we're going to end it on a high note that uh, is is actually pr- it's pretty awesome. James. Oh, and by the way, we do have a sack this yeah. week, too. Oh, yeah? yeah. Well, yeah. and of course, then, you know, it all gets uh, it all gets wrapped up with a bow. That is the overtime towards the end of the show. Oh, that's right. There's a lot. There's a, there's lot. a lot. So you ready to jump into our first ASL, buddy? Let's do cyber. The FBI is warning about a popular antivirus software link to the government of Russia. Kaspersky Lab products are widely used by businesses and some government offices across the Because the name country. is Russian alone. I sure hope this is true. Um, I really do. Because otherwise, this is super sad. Kaspersky makes a legitimate product. It's but, actually pretty good. Yeah, but and also they just have a really top-notch research division. Some of the biggest explosive dive-ins to malware have been from Kaspersky. And... Um, they have legitimately contributed to the cybersecurity industry. I'm not saying that they're not uh, a Putin puppet. It's definitely a possibility. But if they if they are not, and this is just 
essentially defamation, this would be really unfortunate because this is this so far has from the outsides appeared to have been one of the more legitimate quote unquote cybersecurity companies. Federal officials are concerned the software may be feeding user information to Russian intelligence. Jeff Begays is in Washington where the White House head of cybersecurity says the government needs more help to fight these hackers. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. The White House cyber czar said the threat to U.S. systems and infrastructure extends beyond Chinese and Russian hackers and that, quote, small little countries you wouldn't expect are also hitting us. Rob Joyce, the man in charge of protecting the U.S. from cyber threats, offered a sobering assessment of the country's deficit in cyber defense to a group of students. So this is our uh, cybersecurity czar. Oh, OK. And, um, you know, I'm I'm. I'm I'm a big fan of proper IT security. I'm definitely definitely a big proponent of it. But I can't help be skeptical when I start hearing the numbers this guy's tossing around. Right now we're about three hundred thousand people short. We've got roughly wait. three quarters of a million. Wait, 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 stop, 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 full stop. Three hundred thousand people? Yeah. Yeah. I had an anxiety attack when he first said that number. I uh, What? Um, he's talking private sector. He is talking private sector. Uh, I know, yeah. People doing cybersecurity. And if the industry could hire everybody they wanted, um, they would uh, they would hire another quarter million. But they wouldn't have the for- money to do it. So this is a this is a common this is a common thing that that the I, that seems to happen the most in um, the um, IT field. I, I don't understand why these. So there's the same there's the same metric that all of these uh, coding boot camps were based around that we covered a couple of weeks ago on Coder Radio rather extensively. So these coding boot camps have been propping up since basically mobile development was a thing. I'm going to try to stop saying the basically word, but since mobile basically. development was a thing, um, these boot camps have been a great way for people that are retraining into a new industry or want to just refresh on a particular language can go and just the the theory is they're getting like a, a concentration on a particular thing. And they just started sprouting up like like bonanza, like crazy. Like they made like DeVry and Phoenix University look like newbies. And they they show they started popping up like McDonald's, really, just everywhere. And guess what? One by one this year, they're shutting down because they were based on this phony number that the government cooked up. It was this phony number that's driven STEM education. It's this it's the same phony number where they say we need X million programmers. We have this is the same justification they use for the visa program. Mm-hmm. There are X hundreds of thousands of skilled workers missing. We from just the can't labor find force. them. We just can't get them. We can't get. We can't hire them fast enough. And you know, you look around. You're like, God, I know more unemployed people in my life than I've ever have ever. I was one of them for a very long period of time. And you are a well skilled IT person. And yeah. it's really insulting to keep to hear companies like Facebook and Microsoft or the cybersecurities are say they just can't hire enough people. That's such bullshit. Oh, it's bull because crap. the number that he comes up with, protecting the U.S. from cyber threats, offered a sobering assessment of the country's deficit in cyber defense to a group of students. So, just to underscore, this is a sobering deficit. This number, it's a sobering deficit to underscore how underprepared we are. Right now, we're about three hundred thousand people short. That's that's. These numbers are based on the next five to ten years. So over the next five to ten years, industry needs to hire 300,000 people. Is they don't need 300,000 today. No. It's over the next five to ten years. But they act like it's a need that is relevant today. And then when you boil it down, their justification is, well, we've got to get the ball rolling. 
We've got to do something. Right. But then they talk in these. But that that's never disclaimed in this piece. It's never disclaimed. This is over the next five to ten years. It's you're led to believe that this is an urgent deficit that is leaving the United States vulnerable. So our to- our top guy, our cyber czar, our cyber czar is on top of it. Right now, we're about 300,000 people short. We've got roughly three-quarters of a million people doing cybersecurity. You're telling me that your CBS News couldn't look into this and tell you this? I know, I know everybody loves to go on about how RT's propaganda and Fox News is crap, but this is the CBS Morning News, and they can't, they can't Google this? How does some podcast in Arlington, Washington manage to figure this out? And if the industry could hire everybody they wanted, um, they, would, uh, they would hire another quarter million to almost a third of a million more people. Joyce also expressed concern about the popular antivirus software from Kaspersky Lab. U.S. officials believe the company has ties to Russian intelligence. FBI officials have met with private industry. So there's no evidence then? And so this guy, is he just a, is it a political position? Industry representatives right. to relay concerns about using the software. Already the federal government has vowed not to use its products, but local and state governments make extensive use of that software. Kaspersky Lab denies the a- accusations, calling them, quote, false allegations. Nora. Hmm. Mm. I don't know. But this has been this has been bubbling for for weeks. Uh, and I think also if you do contract work with the federal government, you can't use Kaspersky either. But you are mandated to have antivirus protection, which means if you bought all in on Kaspersky, say it's all licensed up, but you, you say maybe make all of the money or the majority of the money from the federal government contract that you have. You're buying new antivirus, buddy, because otherwise that contract is null and void because you got to have antivirus, but you can't use Kaspersky to be a federal contractor. So, yeah. 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 Um, Get yourself Microsoft Security Center. You'll be good with that. I've been I've been just a couple of creepy things here and there with Google on recent censorship, like when I'm Google searching for stories for this show or how certain comments that say the word Seth Rich. So so you're all in. You think it's Google censorship. It's not an algorithm thing. Well, I think it's uh, both. Okay. I don't think it's a human do- being doing it. Okay. Yeah, I know. I think it's, I mean, I think, the, I think the humans design the algorithm and then put, su- supply it with filters and keywords. I would bet you, I would go as far as this. I would bet you that there is a keyword list somewhere in the data centers of Google that have the words Seth Rich on them. And that that is, that that list and to is, deprioritize the search results. Yeah, that list is used various different algorithms to rank things. And you'll see it like on page three instead of page one. And they could tweak a number here or there, and all of a sudden that weight matters a lot more. Yeah. That's as far as I would go conspiracy wise okay. with it. All right, fair enough. YouTube and its parent company Google are being accused of stifling alternative viewpoints. They're cracking down on extremist content, but have also removed legitimate files from journalists and opposition groups. It seems Jacqueline Vogel's got more. Internet regulation is becoming ever more automated, meaning the machines are now in charge of monitoring what you write and post. So when you have your video taken down, it's nothing personal, it's just the algorithm. YouTube now has computers largely responsible for blocking extremist content, and the company is head over heels with the cutting-edge technology that makes this all possible. Over 75% of the videos we've removed for violent extremism over the past month were taken down before receiving a single human flag. And that all sounds well and good, given that, in theory, machines should be objective. But it turns out, they're not. Recently, we've seen a number of journalists, monitors, and Syrian opposition groups have their content blocked, despite the fact that very similar videos went untouched on mainstream news channels' YouTube pages. Those who were targeted say the site is purposefully trying to erase certain documentation of the war. 
I think what's so troubling about this, if we look at the Syrian accounts, this is video chronicling a six or seven year war and some of the most important parts of that war from the perspective of Syrians. So, this is something I think is fascinating. Uh, so, video that's being uploaded in theory by citizens to YouTube that's sort of documenting the war, sort of horrible vlog style, um, is getting pulled down. And some of these videos are like proof of war crimes on the part of the U.S. And, and what are the reasons that they're being pulled? Because usually it'll, it'll they say. have they have a whole bunch of reasons. I've never I've never seen like the like the like the thing they give you. But I know that from some of the reasons on filters gotten flagged before. Or Philip DeFranco, he's talked about his videos get he does news show and a lot of his videos get flagged. Um, and it, it can be anything of a political nature. Actually, is kind of risky on YouTube. It's essentially that's when you go anything in political because uh, their descriptors, which are about four of that you can get flagged by, are all fairly vague. And at the end of the day, kind of come down to plus our own discretion. Right. Um, and it's, it's, a, it's a difficult one because uh, then CNN will post that video inside their video and that's copacetic. And I, I definitely have witnessed this myself. And I've, I've kind of talked to you about it a little bit, and I've, but nobody really reports on it except for RT. But, and it does, maybe it doesn't matter, but I think it, it shows the warning signs of automating speech, uh, yeah. censorship of speech. Well, and then it's also prioritized based upon either how big your audience is or, sure, sure. or how much money you have in sure. the pocket that yeah. you can dedicate a person to completely counteract all these yeah. automated flags. Essentially, are you big enough for YouTube to notice and make an exception? Right. You know, um, and or, all the major or, in- industries yeah, get insert, it. Insert actually Twitter, Facebook, any platform that people use to try to democratize communication. Um, this conversation matters. And they, at the end of the day, have full dis- discretion. I mean, they're a private company. They can yeah. do whatever the hell they want. Or I guess they're a public company, but they can still – they're a company. They can do whatever the hell they want, and That's they do. Because right, yeah. um, I think the only way to solve this problem would be for everyone in the world or at least a large enough percentage that it's, it's okay to say the value of free speech is worth, worth it enough to me that I am willing to be potentially hurt or upset by something I see or hear. And until everyone is willing or enough people are willing to make that compromise, this is always going to be a problem. In order to have a platform that enables free speech, there has to be speech that you don't like. It doesn't mean you have to consume it. And there are tools like downvotes and don't show me this anymore and not interested. There are tools built into the platform to curate your own personal feed so you don't see that. That's what YouTube's designed to do. But shutting these things down simply because you don't want others to consume that speech, that feels like that's where we cross the line. And the fact that Google has automated that, and it appears to be fairly inhumane in such that it also even impacts our, our humble little podcast, um, it does feel like it's not the right compromise. It's not the right balance. And it's... It's just the beginning because these bots are only going to get so much better. The data is only going to get richer. The temptation is only going to get bigger. And the pressure is only going to get stronger to respond to this kind of stuff. Bots are going to be easier to build. Networks that make them think faster and collect data are going to get faster and quicker. Um, 
it's it's just the beginning of this. Oh and yeah, Google and Facebook are leading the way, and uh, so far I'm not impressed with either one's efforts. But I could see this happening everywhere one day. Imagine, imagine. I don't know. Have you read Ready Player One? Oh yeah, yeah. I, it's so this isn't amazing. a spoiler at all. So the the this I'll just say this. So in Ready Player One, uh, it, it's it's a, it, the the premise it revolves around an MMO. Essentially, it's way more than that, but it starts as an MMO. And there's an educational component to the MMO, and um, the MMO will just proactively censor certain words. It can proactively prevent you from saying the F word. It just won't ever transmit that F word. Right. You say it, but it won't come across. Right. You can say it all day long, F, 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 F. And... um, that that kind of thing that that like real even I think it's going to start applying to even real time communications. It's really going to be something to see where this goes. Oh man! And uh, I I might be in the minority on my opinion that in order to fully support free speech, you have to be willing to be pre- or at least be prepared to be hurt by some of it. Uh, interpret hurt how you like. Let's just do a quick Russia investigation update. There's a, there's there's a an effort that's going to go nowhere over at Fox News. Pin it all on Obama. Quick. I mean, President Trump tweeting out just today, in fact, about a stunning new political piece saying, stunning. and I quote, according to a report just out, President Obama knew about Russian interference three years ago, but he didn't want to anger Russia. Political reports that the Obama administration got multiple warnings as far back as 2014 of Russia's intention to disrupt the U.S. political system and that Russia's networks reached far and they reached wide into U.S. and European governments. But is this okay? So two things. First of all, before the first thing, second thing is: is this just sort of like saying it's going to rain in Seattle? Like you get a report, you're like it's going to rain in Seattle. Like oh, shit. Uh, you get a report that says Osama bin Laden uh, determined to attack within the U.S. You're like, and, yeah, and of course. The sky is blue. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but the first part here. So what I love about this, and I think you've brought this up before on the show, is this uh, cake and eating it, two uh, arguments. Oh, spiking the football. So Trump's got this argument of there's no collusion, nobody in my campaign colluded. wrong, haven't done anything wrong. And then he's also got the, well, Obama knew there was going to be collusion all along. He knew, (laughs) he totally knew. What I love about him is he's got got the hoopsman to argue both sides of this thing. Oh, come um, on, you know Trump's been. That's his mo for the past few years. He's yeah. been. He's been. He'll say one thing, and then the very next day, completely contradict. I, himself. Actually, I I think what I think it is a trick. If I were the Dilbert guy, if I was uh, Scott Adams, I'd say he's. It's a hypnotist trick. What he does here is he owns it, and then he flips it and reverses it, like Missy Elliott. Like so, the fake news thing, that wasn't started by him. I don't know if you remember. You have no, to, no, it, you're right. It was, it was, and then he jumped on it. He owned that thing, and he flipped it around, and now he smashes it in their face for like over a year now. He's been ramming it back in their face. He flips it, and he reverses it, and then he owns it. So now it's, well, of course Russia's been interfering. I mean, they're a powerful nation state with interests, and not only is it obvious that Russia would try to interfere and maybe hack our election, but Obama even knew about it. Right. But that doesn't mean that they colluded with anyone in the Trump campaign. Right. That's his position. But it's 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 an interesting and complicated one that is hard to follow if you don't break it down. Uh, and we also got a little bit more information on the uh, digging into Manafort's uh, uh, apartment. That's right. The FBI raid. Apartment makes it sound like it's not a palace. Um, yeah, we didn't know much at the time because it was just coming out when we reported on it a couple of weeks ago. Here's a bit more information. 
With absolutely no warning, FBI agents showed up before dawn to search the suburban Washington, D.C. apartment of Paul Manafort, a Donald Trump confidant who played a central role in his presidential campaign for six months. The search two weeks ago at this building in Alexandria, Virginia, came as a surprise. Manafort's spokesman says he has, quote, consistently cooperated with law enforcement and other serious inquiries and did so on this occasion as well. But a former federal prosecutor says the surprise search is a sign that Robert Mueller's investigators don't trust him. The execution of a search warrant means that there is a concern that the individual has documents that are harmful to him that he may not turn over cooperatively. While Mueller's main task is investigating meddling by the Russians in the election and whether anyone in the U.S. helped them do it, law enforcement officials say Mueller has also been looking intensely at Manafort's foreign business dealings. The officials say FBI agents who searched his home were looking for tax and banking records from his work overseas, including in Ukraine and Cyprus. To get a warrant for that kind of search, FBI agents must persuade a federal judge that there's probable cause to believe a crime has been committed. We were speculating about that. And I said that last time on the show. Yeah, that's it right there. So that's an interesting little development that they might have something of a crime. But what we don't know is if if it's just his business dealings out of Ukraine— what does that really mean? Right, exactly. Yeah. What does what does that? I really want to know what does How that mean. How far down the rabbit hole does it go? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's a couple of interesting things just going on. I don't have any clips, but uh, just t- talking about weird connections. Debbie Wasterman Schultz and her IT guy. Oh yeah. That's proceeding. I think they've got them on four counts right now. Now, which was, none of them wasn't there uh, a threat of a subpoena to get her to to oh. I don't Say, know. I thought there was or something I was Maybe. reading about. It's funny. So they got them on four counts. None of them are about money wiring over to Pakistan. They're all about other things like computer fraud and whatnot. Right. Uh, Debbie's doubling down on the fact that she was trying to keep him from persecution. But here's the crazy uh, – here's your crazy – I don't know if I have bacon. Let's see. Do we have any bacon over there, Chase? Do you have any bacon? Mm, you know, we do have some fresh yeah. Discord bacon. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's Very true. fresh, peppery yeah, Discord good. bacon. Good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> um, well, here's, the, here's what the internet's a buzz about right now. There is possibly a link between this IT guy that she's been paying not just him, but his family. A crap ton of money. Yeah. Uh, And he's had access to all kinds of data. There is um, some crazy internet link between him and the assassination of uh, some president. I I haven't really looked into it because it seems kind of way out there. But there is some crazy stuff with this whole thing going down. So anyways, I'm going to read it all, see if there's any clips that come out. We'll keep an eye on it, but there's nothing really major developing there with Debbie. But there is some big stuff developing with Bannon. Oh, boy. By the way, I know we're going to talk all about Bannon. But I I, I think during that press conference, which I know we'll probably talk about as well, the big, the craziest press conference probably of all time with Trump <laughs> in, in the hotel, talking about Mr. Bannon. I was I was already thinking in my head he's gone by the end of the week Mm -hmm. because whenever Don has talked about Mr. Bannon it wasn't you know you know Steve's a great guy you know and you know but Mr. Bannon Mr. Bannon Bannon, Mm -hmm. and I was like Mm -hmm. and then Friday news dump Mm -hmm. yeah I felt it was so orchestrated so let's go a little back in time uh, before all of this went down wait hold on hold on I got I got it I got it yes. Just a short while ago, we don't have to go that far back, just after the Mooch got fired, he goes on uh, ABC with George, and they have an interesting conversation about that Bannon. He needs to curry favor. You've been tough on Steve Bannon. Does he have to go? Well, I think the president knows what he's going to do with Steve Bannon. Which is what? 
Well, uh, let's leave it up to the president. It's his decision. All right. But. First off, he just had the biggest tell of all time. If you play poker against yeah. the Mooch, you're yeah. going to win. Because- yeah, the Mooch is the Mooch is a. I mean, how does this guy have any any, any respect? He tell tell tells. I, I mean, know. At the end of the day, um, I think the president has a very good idea of who the leakers are inside the White House. The president has a very good idea of the people that are undermining his agenda that are serving their own interests. They include Steve Bannon. Well, yeah, like you know, look, I mean, you know, we're we're not on a uh, <laughs> yeah his yeah. look on yeah. his face. And then listen to this dumb thing he says. We're not on a uh, a phone call and a tape phone call. And He's talking about the phone call that got him fired. And so we're on live television. And what a dumbass! So I would prefer to let the president make the decisions that the president needs to make. You mentioned that tape phone call. That may have been what got you fired uh, from the yeah. White House. Yeah. <laughs> Chase, look, he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. You fired uh, from the yeah. White House. Let's yeah. show. That's awkward. Uh, yeah, it's kind of awkward. Isn't it? uh, yeah. I'm not Steve Bannon. No. I'm not trying to. <laughs> I'm not trying to build my own brand. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, you got to set up George, for the audio George Stephanopoulos, you are gold, buddy. Uh, you, think the, you think this was his call? Oh yeah, because this is this oh, yeah. is the best thing ever. Oh yeah. This is the and then, really, well, and then the split screen. That's yeah. got to be the producer. Yeah. Oh, this. Is, I mean, oh. so what's happening right now is George is playing audio of his phone call. But what what, what they did as soon as the guy swears, they switch to a double box <laughs> where they have the quote on the screen, and then they have the mooch on the other side uh, having to react to his own words. But you also get to see his reaction to the fact that he now has a live reaction cam to his words, and it's hilarious. I'm not trying to build my own brand. <laughs> Trank the president and Ryan's is paranoid schizophrenic paranoiac. And what he's gonna do is, oh, maybe Bill Shine's coming or something. Let me leak thing and see if I these people the way I Caramucci for six months. God, this is really embarrassing. This, like, they never do this. And you know what this shows you? This shows you that when they want to, they are capable of doing this. Okay. The mooch showed up a week ago. This is going to get cleaned up very shortly. This, by the way, is Scaramucci himself. This is Scaramucci talking about himself in the third person, calling himself the mooch. Six months. Okay. The mooch. The mooch showed up a week ago. This is going to get cleaned up very shortly. Okay, because I nailed these guys. I got digital fingerprints on everything that they've done through the FBI and the Department of Justice. Jeez, there's some real shit going down over there. Yeah. What's the thing? It's no. Oh, well, the felony... They're going to get prosecuted probably for the felony. They'll probably get prosecuted for that. Okay. Yeah. You know, if you go back to that email when you responded to that that phishing email that claimed to be from Rance Priebus, and he said, we all know what you did. Mm, wow. Okay, lie detector stars. Yeah. Of course, that was your conversation. Ryan Lizza of yeah. The New Yorker. Which, um, which, for the record, I thought was off the record. And but you for didn't the ask record, it to be off the record. I understand that, but this is the reason why uh, the media gets a, a bad shake from the American people. That was a very deceitful thing that he did. You know, um, that is some crap. You, All right, yeah, if, yeah, I'm sorry. You don't call the op- the opposition party, which is a media that writes critically about you and your candidate, to, and then tell them all of this. And I then, don't... I don't even think it matters if it's opposition or favorable. It's not or like not. he called Fox and was ranting to a Fox News anchor. He was writing to he was he was he was he was ranting to a to a writer who's critical of them. I mean, first off, he's not probably in a two party state, so they didn't need his permission. And then, secondly, if hmm. he wanted to make sure that he was off the record, he should have either made wasn't done, he the freaking communications? Yeah, director? yeah, I mean, come like, on, isn't that like like communications one hundred and one? He's trying to punch back for the words that he he said. 
And yeah. he intentionally said he knew what he was doing. Yeah. So uh, I, I just don't I, I can't really wrap my brain around why Scaramucci did that. Uh, and it was what got him fired yeah. without a doubt. So that's why it was really odd that Bannon went and did the same exact thing a couple of weeks later. Want to get to politics now here at home, and certainly as their updates from overseas will take you back to Spain and bring those to you. However, <laughs> we are getting new insight into President Trump's chief strategist. Uh, Steve Bannon has apparently a lot to say about a lot of things, his critics and his colleagues and his commander-in-chief. Correspondent Kevin Cork tonight with how the Bannon saga is playing out. Kevin, good evening. Hey, good evening, Bill, and quite a saga it is. Now, he thought the conversation uh-huh. was off the record. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah I called this left-leaning reporter. He called, wait, no, he called a member of the media, any media, and had a conversation, which could be dubbed as an interview, and he's shocked that it was off, not off the record. Cause After he, this oh, just happened to Scaramucci? I, I mean, come on. After it just, and so Bannon's, Bannon's so stupid. And, 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 the big and Bannon, clever ba- Bannon. The, the founder of Breitbart. He's, founder he's, of his own media empire. I just. No, I, this bull. It just I'm doesn't. It, bull. It, uh, it, like, it doesn't even pass, like, a tiny bit of the sniff test. Right. Like, it's not even worth considering as legitimate. And, and this is where. I'm sorry, but Fox News gets a little bit of a bad rap here for being maybe a little too. Because they're just like they say, yeah, yeah. It's like, Come I know, on, man. I know. Well, it's yeah, so. Yeah, I know. It's, and the fact that anybody buys it is. Ugh. Kevin, good evening. Hey, good evening, Bill. And quite yeah, a saga evening, it good. is. Now he thought the conversation was off the record, but even if it was off the record, what White House Chief Strategist Steve Bannon told the American Prospect not only put him at odds with many inside the Trump administration, it put him at odds with the president himself. Oh. <laughs> the interview comes as Mr. Bannon, for the second time in four months, finds himself fending off rumors of his pending ouster from the Trump team. Bannon said of his rivals, they're wetting themselves because he has the leverage to force them out. On China, he said the U.S. was at economic war with Beijing. He described adherence to ethno-nationalism as losers, a fringe element. That's interesting right there, because the media often tries to paint him as sort of the leader of some of that. Um, and so it's interesting that he calls them losers and a fringe element. Nationalism um, as losers, a fringe element, a collection of clowns, adding, we got to help crush it, help crush it more. That's pretty strong language. But perhaps most surprising was Bannon's assessment of the situation in North Korea, about which he said there's no military solution here. They got us. This is supposedly getting him the most shit inside the Republican circles. There's no military solution. They've got us. Yeah, well, you got to keep the you know military-industrial complex going. But but other people have said that without controversy. Right. A lot of people agree, unless you want tens of millions of people dead in Seoul, there's really no way to do this militarily. I know. Or non-militarily, or not. You yeah, have, I, it has I, to oh, be yeah, non-military, right? If you don't want, yeah, I seriously. If you want tens of millions of people dead and sold because we couldn't come to a political solution, then you send in the military because the first thing that North Korea is going to do is they're not going to launch their stupid fucking fake it's the missiles. Dumb artillery. Yeah, they're going to just the, they're going to launch the cheap shit at South Korea, and everybody knows it. Everybody knows it, and that's what he's saying here. There's nothing controversial about this. Like what? Actually, what, any none of these quotes are. And I've read it. Obviously, that's it's actually it's not that interesting. That's in stark contrast to the president's own fire and fury comments. The most interesting thing in this is he says that the Trump presidency is over. That uh, the that that the reason that got him elected. The, the populist stuff that got him elected is over and that uh, 
the uh, the state basically has gotten to him. Is he's kind of what he says. New Jersey Senator Democrat. I didn't mean to play that. Sorry, uh, but so that's that's interesting. That but that, of course Fox doesn't really cover that. <laughs> of course not. No, no. That I thought, and he's so he's going back to Breitbart. Right, he's out. He's going back to fight. Promising war, Steve Bannon's bracing for battle. The now ousted chief strategist telling Bloomberg he's leaving the White House to fight for President Trump. What is she in a data center recording this? Do you hear that fan noise? <laughs> so it's just really interesting imagery difference. So Fox used pictures of Bannon uh, walking around like an event, patting people on the shoulder. Uh, they used the famous shot of him in the Oval Office. NBC has taken uh, photos of Bannon looking down, so he's got the double chin effect, and they've, in this case, they've blown out the contrast and made it black and white to make him look really sickly. And the none of this is none of this accidentally happens in the video editor. This doesn't just accidentally occur. Right. In fact, look at this. So you can see here's the original, which is still an unflattering picture. Like there are pictures of um, there's actually a few flattering pictures of him at events where he's looking up into the side and like anybody, he you know his face thins out a little bit and he looks quite a bit healthier. And in general, there's pictures of him where he's more well kept and there's pictures where he's less well kept. And depending on the news outlets, say Fox or NBC, you see major differences in the images that they choose to portray of Bannon and how they handle that imagery. This Fox News one, or this NBC one, is really strong. Like, they, f- they flip through filters really quickly, and they zoom in on Bannon, and they change it to make it look really harsh, uh, to really to almost make him look like a villain. Yeah, no, nice setup. Yeah, you're right. Promising war, Steve Bannon's bracing for battle. The now-ousted chief strategist telling Bloomberg he's leaving the White House to fight for President Trump against his opponents on Capitol Hill, in the media, and in corporate America. Bannon now becoming one of the last West Wing originals to leave the picture, one year and one day after joining Team Trump. The self-styled protector of the president's nationalist pledges, mutually agreeing with Chief of Staff John Kelly that he should leave, according to the White House. The news applauded today, literally, when it was announced at the stock exchange. I'm telling you that that, uh, Bannon is said to have submitted his resignation. Cheered by civil rights. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. It's groups, Democrats, even some Republicans. The president did absolutely the right thing in firing Steve Bannon. Of course, Bannon says I wasn't fired. No, I was always going to go around a year. We we always talked about it. I wasn't fired. No, no, not me. No, no, no. and that's that's why you do it on a Friday, uh, because you know there's less likely for any kind of retaliation. You know, yeah. it's always simpler that way. So Breitbart coworker of Bannon was called on to give a little insight, and I thought he actually had some good stuff to share. Uh, ben Shapiro joining me now as well. Ben Shapiro, of course, former editor at large at Breitbart. Uh, ben, you know Steve Bannon well. Take us inside his head. Okay, so here's what Steve is probably thinking. Steve has been marginalized by the Trump administration for months now. There, there are a number legit. of figures who are being given more power than he was. Jared Kushner, Ivanka Trump, H.R. McMaster, John Kelly, the list goes on, Gary Cohn. And so he'd obviously been marginalized. Whether he chose to quit two weeks ago, as the New York Times is reporting, or whether he was fired by the chief of staff, it was, it was pretty obvious to Bannon, clearly, that he was on his way out. And so you have to see his activity over the last week as a real reflection of that knowledge. So in the last week, what he's done is he's pushed Trump to not disassociate from the alt-right. He's pushed him to not disassociate from what he considers Bannon's base. Uh, And Trump acquiesced because that's who Trump is. And Bannon is seeking to now capitalize on that. He gave that interview to the American Prospect where he ripped Trump's foreign policy up and down, 
proclaimed that he wanted a trade war with China, proclaimed that Trump's foreign policy was essentially too interventionist, and now he's going back to Breitbart. All of that is setting up the battle lines. The battle lines are going to be that Bannon was ousted because the globalists took control of the Trump administration, that Trump has betrayed his base. Look what Syria, look what Trump <laughs> has done in Syria. Right. Look, look how Trump is handling China from before he went in till, I mean, China. He, the only, the only person that took more hits than China would be Hillary Clinton for Trump. <laughs> I mean, he hit China constantly yeah. during the election yeah. and he's completely changed his tune on 180. that. 180. Um, situation, he dropped, he dropped the largest non-nuke bomb ever. That's right. I in Afghanistan. That. Yeah. In Syria, the situation's improved, but also gotten worse. He's dialed down the Pentagon program, but still seems to be going after getting Assad out of there. And we're going to get to the other Afghanistan news today, which is interesting in light of Bannon leaving. So I would say, yeah, Trump has been very interventionist, which is not going to play well to his base. No, it won't. And that Bannon is the actual real leader of the populist nationalist alt-right movement. That the, the, that's, you know, the, the alt-right is a, a small wing of that, but not the whole movement. But the, the Bannon is the true leader of that movement. This is, Bannon is a super ambitious, deeply vengeful guy. Uh, and he knows that he's just held the most powerful position he will ever hold unless he's, his new position is going to be helping to tear down Trump and build himself up in the process. Uh, it, it sounds as if you're saying that Steve Bannon's ego is just as big as this president's. Well, I mean, I said that at the time when he was hired. I said that essentially Bannon is... is <laughs> yeah, uh, and I think... Uh, so it's, he says he's going to war for Trump, but uh, they've I actually... Don't think so. They've actually been... So so since then, they've been very critical of Trump. We'll yeah. get to that in a moment, but I want to just kind of do an update on Charlottesville So before we get to the Afghanistan, Afghanistan stuff. <sighs> what a topic, Chase. What a topic. What a, what a thing to cover in a show like this. Um, and it, it all started so... So typical. Um, it's a press conference, which which has become a familiar scene. I'm talking about Trump's response to Charlottesville. Right, yeah, not the actual event. No. Um, the, the response has become like the scene. It's like, you think about it, like this, these presidential press conferences we have now in front of these huge gold elevator doors, So, which is a real scene. So, so they kind of rewind it a little bit, you know, so Trump had his first... Pre a pre scripted yes. response, uh, which we did cover in the patron episode. Okay, okay. Before that pre scripted response, he had his first you know gut reaction response, which was two days after. Then he had uh, a scripted response to kind of backpedal some of the things that he said, especially with the blame on both sides thing. And then he had this presser, which was not even supposed to be about Charlottesville. So this is the fourth, third. This okay, was the third. third. Okay. Uh, this was on a Tuesday, okay, and this was supposed to be about the new transportation package. So, yeah, I don't want to start right, there. Yeah, so, yeah. This, so this, yeah, that's a, that's how this thing starts, which is why this is so surreal. This yeah, is I how know. it starts. Regulated yeah. permitting process is a massive, self-inflicted wound on our country. It's disgraceful, denying our people much-needed investments in their community. And I just want to show you this because it was just shown me, and I think I think I'm going to show it. To the media. They're using props with Trump now. Both real and fake. Media. I think this is good. Oh, uh, got a little this fake. Is what it takes to get something approved today. That is. So. Elaine, you see that? So he's showing this so long. This is what it takes. Permitting process. Flow, flow chart. chart. It's a flow chart. Uh, Elaine, so that's that a transportation uh, cabinet shows director. About 10. Yeah. Um, and it can, they talk about how long the process can take. Yeah. And, uh, so it was supposed to be just be about that. Yeah. And they prescripted, prescripted. Basically, you're supposed to go down there, say a few words, and then leave. Yeah. Uh, so we have, uh, we have, uh, 
Well, I have parts of the. I mean, I have the whole damn thing. But I'll just play a couple parts of it, okay. and then we can talk about it. Why, why did you wait so long? I, I didn't wait long. What, why? Did I didn't wait long. I didn't wait long. I wanted to make sure, unlike most politicians, that what I said was correct. Not make a quick statement. This. Okay, you're a Trump fan. Okay, you're a, you're a Trump guy, right? You are. I blow, you are 100% loving Trump, and you love him as your president. Okay? Who's this? Who's this person? Is this, this is what I'm speaking Are you to. making a straw man right now? I, I, I'm just we'll speaking. call him Mr. Straw. <laughs> Mr. Straw. All right. Now, you also know that Trump is quick on the Twitters, and he is so fast before he gets any information. As a matter of fact, he tweets out misinformation all the time before he gets all the information. So for him saying this— Yeah. yeah. You know, i got to be honest, uh, though. Uh, it— it it smacks of fake controversy a little bit. Like so, when Bush was super late on Katrina, that seemed kind of justified. But this, the criticism isn't initially wasn't what he said. It was how long it took him to say it. Well, but at the same time, though, why is what so we knew? Why we does knew, it matter? We knew, well, because we he's he's spoken out on other things instantly before, and and I think. But that, there's lots of things he doesn't speak out about, too. I mean, there well, really that's are. that's true. Yeah, absolutely. And, and the people call him out on that, too. But when he says, oh, yeah, I'm waiting for all the information. I'm waiting for 40 hours. Well, that's bullshit. Yeah, yeah it's yeah, total I bullshit. I, I agree. That doesn't seem very likely. Uh, here's what I always try to keep in mind, though. And I'm not I'm not trying using this as justification, but here's what I always try to keep in mind. Uh we like we 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 know that he gets a lot of his news from the TV, but the president also gets a lot of information, and it's likely. So let's just for a moment go down a bacon alley here, and let's say maybe ten um, percent of the protesters there were paid or brought in by a special interest that's maybe paid by George Soros or something right. on the, on the other end of it, and uh, let's say that this has been happening now at pretty much all of the major protests. Uh, for for maybe a couple of years. And so it, let's just say uh, that there's maybe an ongoing investigation by the FBI into what's happening here and who's behind it and how it's all organized. And let's also just say that they're providing the president with briefings on the status of that investigation because it relates to some of the shit that happened during his campaign. So he's probably specifically requested it because he's very hung up on that. I, I mean, it is it is so likely to me that he has information, even though I know this is Donald Trump and we like to assume he only gets his news from Fox. But to me, it seems so likely that when he says, I know things you don't know, he legitimately does know things we don't know right. because he's pervy to information that the FBI isn't actually leaking to the media. And I'm not giving any justifications here. But what my 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 point is, is that it's hard to fully judge why he was late there could be legal constraints around what he's allowed to comment on his Twitter feed that we don't know about. There could be information that was involved in an investigation that took people a while to get him the information before he said anything because he may know something about why those people were there and why they were so violent that we don't know that isn't being reported. And so uh, – uh, or it could also be a politically calculated move to try not to anger a larger percentage of his base than we would like to think it is. That's the first thing I thought of, especially when he made his first comments before this presser. I was thinking to myself, he's sounding like a guy who doesn't want to piss off the people who voted for him, even though that's what he needs to do. Because in my opinion, the – yes, Antifa, Antiqua, whatever they are. Oh, man. 
Okay, I understand that there are – and we've seen them in downtown Seattle. We've seen the extreme left and how violent and, and how they can be. Yeah, it's really kind of unproductive to yeah, tell the truth. Yes. In Charlottesville, in this situation, that side were not doing racist things. They were not chanting about Jews. They, they were not you know, li- literally being racist and white supremacist. They were not doing those things so in Charlottesville. Here's and why for him to make that comparison, here's I, why it's he tough. completely lost me. It's tough for me to think it's just because he doesn't want to piss off a certain percentage of the base. Because right. uh, So looking at this Business Cider article from November, okay. uh, you look at the turnout. Um, he had... He had a better turnout than uh, than you'd really think amongst female voters. I mean, that's pretty remarkable for him. It's not it's not incredible. I mean, it's not like standout, but it's right. still pretty strong. Like, I think I think his votes came from a wider base than we have been led to discuss. Does that you know what I'm following? Like, yeah. I don't think it's been a topic of conversation because they the people that are leading the conversation are still very uncomfortable about the populist movement. I, I I maintain my my theory is is that if Bernie had been able to run properly and he competed properly with Hillary, yeah, and say he had secured the primary, yeah, I believe he would have won the presidency, not because of uh, he wanted to give away things to people uh, or because he wanted to make college free, but simply because people wanted a chaos candidate. And they wanted a populist candidate that was saying the things that they all knew has been true for the last 30 years. And it was Bernie and Donald were the ones doing that. And when it wasn't Bernie, it became Donald. Yeah. And I think a lot of people switched over that wouldn't have normally switched over. And you can look at that in the way a lot of states that were normally Democratic uh, cinchers became, uh, became Trump states. Yeah. I agree. <sighs> Anyways, so I, I don't know. I don't know if it's because he didn't want to piss off a certain base because I think his base was uh, was were people that wanted a populist candidate, which is a very large base, which is probably why if Elizabeth Warren were to run. So then, all right, so if that's true and, and, and let's say he didn't really want to try to piss off his base, why wouldn't he just come out? I mean, it's a no-brainer. White supremacist, racist, not good for America. Like I said, I don't have an answer, but I give you killed a couple, somebody. At I, the I rally. gave you a couple thought experiments as to yeah. perhaps why, but yeah. yeah. All right, so just a little more. Yeah. I hear is a fantastic young woman, and it was on NBC. Oh yeah, he goes on and on about the mom here for a bit. Mother wrote me, and I don't. Did she write him? Did she tweet him? So I this press know. conference is fifteen minutes long. Well, you really do have to ask yourself, where does it stop? And he goes on about the statues, but it, it, actually one of my favorite moments uh, was uh, at the end with Jim Acosta here. Oh, oh this, oh, this, this is, is a different, different one. one Sorry. Yeah. Oh, but this is still a I good moment. This one. Mr. President, can you explain why you did not condemn those patrons by name over the weekend? They've been condemned. They have been condemned. And, and why are we not having a press conference today? You said on Friday we had a press conference. We had a press conference. We just had a press conference. Can we ask you some more questions, then, sir? It doesn't bother me at all, but, you know, I like real news. It's not fake news. It's just fake news. Thank you, everybody. All fair news. So that's a that's a great moment. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have. Yeah, that was that was earlier. Yeah. Um, all right. So there was this moment, which was another standout Two moment. Questions. Was it terrorism? And can you tell us how you're feeling about your chief strategist? Well, I think the driver of the car is a disgrace to himself, his family and this country. And that is you can call it terrorism. You can call it murder. You can call it whatever you want. 
I would just call it as the fastest one to come up with a good verdict. That- he uh, he got a little bit of shit there for uh, not being willing to call it terrorism. Um, specifically, got it from some of his favorite buddies on, like uh, uh, Lindsey Graham. The the problem with calling it terrorism, and everybody knows this, that's why you can tell they're playing politics, uh-huh. is it totally changes legal classification of everything. Yep. That's what I'd call it. Because there is a question, is it murder, is it terrorism? And then you get into legal semantics. The driver of the car is a murderer. And what he did was a horrible, horrible, inexcusable thing. That seems pretty clear to me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I wasn't sure if you had any. Okay. No. No, um, no issue. Though. Then I think this is probably the most controversial moment. I'm not sure. We'll see. Uh, define alt right to me. You define it. Go ahead. Well, I'm saying, as no, Senator, define it for me. Come on. Let's go. Define Senator it. For me. Come on. Let's go. As the same group. Okay. What about the alt left that came charging? At me? Excuse me. What about the alt left that came charging at the, as you say, the alt right? Do they have any semblance of guilt? So this has been described as drawing a moral equivalency between the Nazis and the uh, quote-unquote counter-protesters. A couple of pieces about this. Let's start with the less important one. This word counter-protester to me is bothersome. It it's it's loaded. It's loaded with defeatism, like with the subduity. It's like it's designed to make you think that they're good Samaritans. They're counter protesters. They're counter violence. Um, so I find it interesting that we're all just we all just all apparently everybody got a memo. I didn't even know I had a memo inbox, but apparently everybody got a memo. We're just calling them counter protesters. Um, so I hadn't really heard alt left until he started throwing this out there in this. Um, in this particular press conference, and I think that sort of... What is that noise? It's a dog howling. Oh, maybe we should... You know, while we're playing the clip, <laughs> I'll close the window. Uh, so uh, I, I think perhaps that threw additional fire on this drawing moral equivalency, or that threw additional gas on this moral equivalency argument, and um, let's play a little more and let's talk about it. Let me ask you this. What about the fact they came charging, that they came charging with clubs in their hands, swinging clubs... Do they have any problem? I think they do. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, that was a horrible, horrible day. Wait a minute. I'm not finished. I'm not finished, fake news. That was a horrible day. And he had nothing to say. He just, he he, he berated them, called them fake news, and had nothing actually to contribute. So... Uh, are the counter pro? Can we can we come up with a different name? Because I'm gonna get I'm gonna get fired up over that nit word. Uh, are the protesters? Are the progressive protesters? I don't know. Call them. Are the counter protesters to blame for any of this? For what? For what happened? For for the murder that occurred and and for the no 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 for just violence general, not the murder at, at Charlottesville. Yeah. No. I no I I don't believe so. No. Do they have blame in in other situations and protests? Yeah, absolutely. I you know consider that on a, on a case by case situation. Definitely happens in Seattle every May Day. It feels like uh, there's definitely some extreme groups on on the left side that will you know cause mayhem and havoc and you know and, and those kind of things. But in this scenario with Charlottesville, I don't I, I don't believe so. So yeah, definitely not the driving the car into the crowd, uh, no. and that I think was I think that was more premeditated than people realize. There's some screenshots of uh, some Discord chats where people were planning to be there during the during the protest because they're planning the protest of taking down the statue, and in there they're joking about running over crowds and stuff. Uh, I have some links to that in the show notes I, if you want to see it. That press conference and in, in, in the words and it 
it it just really bothered me as, as an American. It, it, it bothered me a lot because this this is an op- and I know that Donald Trump has played up upon the fact of 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 the press po- conference bothered you a lot. Well, the, the, just the whole thing, like you know, he had a, a speech. I think it was the day before where he he was very strong. Now it was a prescripted speech, but it was very strong in condemning. The groups involved that you know he doesn't support them in any way. He didn't try to make a correlation of of bringing up, you know the left and saying you know and blaming other groups. He was he was very focused on that. And then the very next day, or maybe two days later, I forget the timing on this. He comes out and he tries to make that equivalency again. And I'm just like, what is going on here? I mean, we need to condemn this behavior. I mean, I agree that there are extremes on both sides, but. The extreme on the side of racism and white nationalism is wrong. I don't care if it's a left extreme side or a right extreme side. So would it, would it, would it, be, would yeah. it be better if he just didn't say anything? No, I don't think that would be better at why, all. Why does he need to say anything? Well, he's our leader. He is, you know, he's the, he's the country's captain, if you will. You know, is that when, really why? That's, that doesn't really sound like a reason, though. That sounds sort of— you, you, what, Right now, what you have going on in America— that you know, sometimes with everything that's going on, it isn't either reported on too much, or yeah. isn't talked about too much, yeah. or is it just kind of? I'll tell you. As that. a side note, is you know there there is a huge divide right now. There's a huge group of people on both sides that are angry about things. So I think and, it's not yeah. huge. See, I think it's see this is it. So this gets to the core of it. So right. I will say this before I go any further, so I don't forget. I think he should denounce it. I think he should denounce it immediately. And he did say that Nazis are horrible. Um, the reason why I think he should do it is. Not because he is our moral leader and our compass is set by our God and our president. Uh, because if you're setting your if you're setting yourself up, if yeah. you're setting your compass that way, then that's really just some sort of holographic construct that you've made in your brain that you're following. Think about it. the 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 idea that your moral compass must be set by your president. Every single one of those cocksuckers is an evil bastard who killed his way into that presidency and has probably abused women and treated people horrible. So no nobody should be setting their moral compass to any of the United States presidents in my lifetime. That's obvious to me. But I will say this. He shouldn't give the like the guys like David Duke, who may be a puppet, but he shouldn't give groups that are maniacal enough to drive their car into a crowd any kind of moral authority by thinking they have any amount of support in the president's office. And that's why he should denounce it immediately. Not because I need my moral compass set by daddy. You said it much better than I was trying to say it in my head. But Thank that, you. <laughs> I think that's the reason is simply because he just needs to take a little bit of air out of their tires. And when he can denounce that kind of thing, then they can't get away with thanking him on Twitter, which is bullshit. Yeah. Uh, OK, so there is one villain in this entire thing I'd like to talk about for a moment. Jews this creepy footage here of uh, these all sort of overweight young white guys that are walking around with these tiki torches that they, they, prob- are tiki they torches. probably wouldn't buy. What do you think they went to Costco and got a great deal on no, tiki no, no, torches? No, no, it's Walmart, man. Come on. I mean, they look like some pretty cheap shit, and it's just really embarrassing. Uh, this video footage is Vice documentary footage that every single network in the overtime, I think I'm going to play CNN playing it, or maybe CBS, they all play this footage. It's all this Vice documentary, which is, Vice is really all over this. And this is uh, these guys walking around saying some super incendiary things. I, I believe it was the night before Charlottesville. Uh, attack. They were there to protest. Excuse me. You take a look the night before. 
They were there to protest the taking down of the statue of Robert E. Lee. You will not replace us! This was that night. See, I don't think this is the majority. I don't think it is a huge divide. I think this is a small percentage of super screwed up young people who have been sitting around online sharing Pepe memes with themselves for over two years now, and they are angry and pissed off, and a lot of shit keeps going the wrong way for them. And they have villainized social justice warriors, they have villainized progressives, and they are fucking pissed. And they're pissed that they don't have a job, or that their job sucks, or they're pissed that society sucks, or they're pissed that the swamp isn't getting drained. They're angry. But they're not the majority. They're, it's not a huge divide. It's a sliver. You had people, and I'm not talking about the neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists. I really do not disagree with that statement. I don't think that's a moral equivalency. I think he's saying there's a fringe element there that are a bunch of bastards. And he condemns them right there in that statement. But he's saying there's also people there that are just pissed. I'm pissed. I'm pissed about how much money I pay on my health care. I'm pissed about what my tax dollars are used to kill kids in, in Yemen. I'm, I'm pissed about all of this. Like, I do this show because I'm pissed. I'm pissed. And I'm not pissed because I'm a racist. I'm pissed because a bunch of fat cats have been sitting in Washington running this place into the ground for quite a while now. And this guy was one of the candidates that were supposed to make this shit better. And so people that associate them as Trump supporters, I, I, by that definition, you could take all those words I just said, they could clip it and say, I'm a Trump supporter. I'm not a Trump supporter. I'm just pissed. I'm pissed. A lot of us are. And so th- there is a group of people there that are not Nazis, that are not racist, that are not the KKK. And that's all he's saying. And he could say that. But I don't think it's... Like you said, you know, there there's a time and place for it, and right now, yeah, okay, yeah, make that argument later, yeah, that's fair enough. I agree. Yeah. I agree. Don't don't just end it right there with yeah. Nazis. Yeah, don't with the don't, first part. Don't add on to it, especially when you have someone who lost their life. Well, you think his own political hide would just like that mechanism would kick in? He'd be like, well, I probably should just say this part because right now that's the politically smarter thing. Right. To- I mean, what he, I mean, a good play could have been, yeah, he talks about how bad the people were calls out the groups by name, moves on, and then maybe a week later, I'm convening a special... You know, this is like what yeah. Obama would do. I'm convening a special panel, <laughs> right? I, yeah. I'm convening a... They would do nothing, spe- though. Right. But, <laughs> but, money. but he would convene a special panel, get experts. Yeah. What can we do? Or you know? leak something to Fox and get them going and you know, right. squawking something about it. Like that. But, but doing this does, does not... I don't know how this helps on either side. I guess the only thing I can figure is he's so desperate to, 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 to shake up the official narrative. But I, I just don't know, man. The neo-Nazis and the white nationalists, because they should be condemned totally. But you had many people in that group other than neo-Nazis and white nationalists. Could it be that he's so green, like Veritunda in the chat room saying that he's just, he's, he's green? No, because... He, it's his he, first political he, office. Fine. He may be green, I'll give him that, but he has... Like and you've said this before many times, Chris. He has the tools of the United States government at his disposal yeah. to get the the deepest, yeah. most correct information. To he's got advisors up the yin yang. Well, plus he's very he's very image conscious. So in some sense, just self preservation of your own image, you'd think you'd you just 
you know, say, I mean, he's very image conscious. You think that would just be guiding this? Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so um, let's uh, let's talk about Cantwell. So Cantwell is one of the guys in the Vice video that says that Trump isn't racist enough, and he's doing an interview with her, and he says, "We, you know, we we don't we don't start the violence, but we're more violent. We're going to finish it. I go to the gym and I get strong. I've got I'm bringing my gun. Have you seen this guy? This no, Cantwell guy? I have not. Yeah. Uh, he has gone to YouTube to uh, to to ball his eyes out and tell his side of the story. I play it for you because you're not going to hear it anywhere else, but, um, I mean, at least not on mainstream media, but uh, you, I'll leave it to you to make up your mind. Well, Stephen Tenney, the King Police Department, he's well, one of the cops who came there. Um, <clears throat> <clears throat> he's one of the cops who saved my ass when I had to pull my gun in Keene. And I emailed him and I said, I don't know what to do. I need guidance. Um... I want to be peaceful. I want to be law-abiding. Okay, that was the whole entire point of this. And I'm watching CNN talk about this as violent white nationalist protests. We have done everything in our power to keep this peaceful. You know, I know we talk a lot of shit on the internet, right? But like, literally, Jason Kessler applied for a permit like months ago for this. Okay, when they yanked our permit, we went to the ACLU and we went to court and we won. We've been coordinating with law enforcement the entire time. Every step of the way, we've tried to do the right thing. And they just won't stop, you know? We have done everything in our power. We have used every peaceful and... and you get the point. So what do you think of his take? Well, I... Leave I Brittany alone, or do you think it's uh, no. legit? Like, I mean, they did, they, they did have the ACLU defend them to get a permit. Right, but wasn't this the same gentleman who, what was it, the day or two prior, was out there yelling and, and, and saying mm-hmm. these really nasty the, things? The Jew stuff, yeah. Yeah, so... Yeah, I know. I, I'm not justifying anything. No, no, I know. But what I'm saying, though, is he goes from that to now he's crying because he's in trouble. Here's where I'm going with this. Uh, I think there's more to the story than we realize. I think uh, that guy is a piece of trash. Um, and I think he should shut his mouth and uh, just stay off the internet. Double ding. Yeah. Uh, and if he doesn't, somebody's going to probably track his, track him down and beat his ass. Yeah, he's, he'll be crying a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so that aside, let's just put that aside for a moment. Um, I don't I don't subscribe to the bacon out there that these guys were bust in or that uh, these were uh, hired actors. The uh, people that started the fights. So some people in the audience have sent me some links to some Craigslist postings that were hiring protest actors. And uh, I think we need to start being careful about those. Well, here's the thing. The listing was for Charlotte, North Uh, Carolina, not not Charlottesville. And so that's a different thing. I mean, that does happen, but that was a different thing. Uh, and then the other thing people have sent is video of somebody claiming that the KKK people and the neo-Nazis and the counter protesters all got off the same buses, two buses, same same brand, same make and model, parked, uh, you know, uh, head to ass next to each other and unloaded all the protesters. And they all walked, you know, the, the people, the violent ones, and they all walked over to the area and started the shit. There's no imagery of any of these buses that I've seen. Uh, the video that people have sent me is um, is a guy saying he saw it, but he's not and he's saying his friend saw it, but he didn't see it. Oh, so hearsay. Um, so I'm not subscribing to any of these conspiracy theories because in the show notes, I've got links to, uh, discord chats where these guys like this Christopher Cantwell were planning to essentially, uh, I mean, it's funny, man. They're planning from everything from how to take a shit while they're there protesting because they are shutting down the bathrooms, like to, uh, you know, defense stuff. 
So and they they were they were posting pictures of uh, driving a bus into a crowd and, and joking about it. And then later they posted a, a picture of a John Deere tractor that they you know they called like a social justice warrior digester or something. I can't remember what they called it. And by the way, the whole Craigslist thing, I, I think some of that stuff now we got to be a little bit careful about because there's no way to really fully vet if any of that stuff is true. Like, for example, anybody could post a Craigslist posting saying they're looking for X and X people to do this certain thing just so there would be a story about a Craigslist posting. You know, I'm serious. Yeah, yeah. I'm serious. It's possible. So it, it's possible. I mean, it's very easy to do. Uh, so it's Cheese Bacon in the chat room says, hey, Chris Lass, what was up with the uh- – Oh, there's a whole uh, – uh, Google that guy. Uh, yeah. Just uh, uh, Washington Post actually did a whole article about him, uh, and actually one of my. Well, I should let me read it because people don't. Know. Yeah. What's yeah. up with the? She says, "What's up with the lone black guy at Trump's Arizona speech last night?" Okay, so what's going on with this guy? So should I play it? I got a clip of it. Yeah, go ahead, play it while I a find fire. it. Uh, the speech from President Trump brought an angry response from demonstrators in Phoenix. Dozens of protesters confronted police after last night's speech. Some of them threw rocks and water bottles. At least four people were arrested. The president came to Phoenix for a campaign-style rally. He threatened a government shutdown over his planned border wall and hinted that he would pardon a former sheriff who is facing jail time. The president also accused the media of misreporting his response to the violence in Charlottesville, Virginia. Chip Reed is in Phoenix, where at one point the president misquoted himself. Chip, good morning. Oh, they're really on him. Good morning. I've covered a lot of President hey, Trump's rallies, and I don't think I've ever seen him this angry. At one point, he pointed directly at the media platform that dozens of cameras and reporters who were there and called us bad people and sick people. He still had anger left over, though, after that. He went after Democrats and the two Republican senators from Arizona. You wait, you mean John McCain, the war hero? I hit him with everything. There's the guy in the background. And he's holding up a sign that says Blacks for, Blacks Trump. for Trump. And then on his shirt it says Trump and Republicans are not racist. It's so great. Yeah. It's so great. No, actually, one of my good friends who's uh, African-American, uh, he told me about this guy. And then I fact-checked and I looked it up and I'm like, yeah, this guy. Uh, <laughs> just accidentally ended up in the back of it's the It's not accidental. Shop. He's like. He just happenstance, just a total just no, quinky-dink? No, no, it's not. It so you're telling me it's not a quinky-dink that no. this black guy's right no, there behind no, Trump? No, no, it's not, Chris. You sure? Yeah, I'm positive. You sure? Yeah. Because otherwise, it's a bunch of old white people. Yeah, I know, but no, but yeah. So it just seems like a total quinky dink that uh, a black guy that says Trump and Republicans are not. He was placed there, Chris. Come on, man. You know this. Oh, you know that. Oh, you think? (laughs) Come on. You think they would do that, Chase? Come on, Chris. (laughs) Come on. Yeah, of course he was. So what did you find out about him? Uh, well, that (laughs) he uh he he thinks, for example, here's these these are just a, a a plethora of his thoughts. He thinks Hillary Clinton's in the KKK. Yeah, he's been in. Uh, he calls himself Michael the Black Man. Uh, he's been in a cult, and he's called Oprah the Devil. These Whoa. are just just a few. So he's fifty percent right on the Hillary Clinton thing. <laughs> Seriously, one of her uh, one of her. I'll I'll you know what I'll play a clip yeah. in the overtime. We'll, All right, we'll get to it in the overtime. One of her one of her mentors was uh, was a big proponent of the KKK, uh, and so much so that uh, at his uh, during his eulogy, President uh, Clinton gave a speech. Uh, to try to sort of repaint history, I'll play all of it in the overtime. Right. So maybe this guy's this guy might be smarter than we think. Uh, anyway, so Trump's here in Phoenix, and uh, yeah, as you can tell by the CBS setup, he's fired up and ready to go. I hit him with everything. I I got the white supremacists, the neo Nazi. I got them all in there. Let's see. Yeah, KKK, we have KKK. More than a week after the violence in Charlottesville, President Trump was still chafing over criticism. He was slow to call out white nationalists. So what did they say? 
right? It should have been sooner. He's a racist. He claimed the media incorrectly reported his word. He wasn't specific enough. Why wasn't he more specific? Attempting to prove his point, the president spent nearly 25 minutes reciting several passages from the statements he made after the incident. We condemn in the strongest possible terms this egregious display of hatred. Mike, the black guy, is shouting yes, sir, in the background. It's great. Bigotry and violence. That's me speaking on Saturday. But the president left out important parts, including this one critical section. display of hatred, bigotry and violence on many sides. On many sides. Mr. Trump also directed his ire at his fellow Republicans. Please, Mr. President, don't mention any names. So I won't. Without naming them, the president singled out Arizona Senators Jeff Flake and John McCain, who cast the deciding no vote that sunk the health care bill. We were just one vote away from victory after seven years of everybody. All right, that's not true either. Repeal this is going to be see, this is going to be the cost of, of going against Trump here is uh, is that he can sit he's, here on the public platform and rewrite that. He's right trying there. to like destroy any part of like support that he remotely has in Congress. I, I will. Feel. Uh, so I'll say uh, um, this is this is his like power zone where he goes here and he talks directly to the people and he gets the media to play his clips over and over again. He can just sit here and do this indefinitely right, right. up until 2020. However, just forever as as a person that that works in the media and, and you know, I don't can I, uh, you know, my, my views are my own. I want to say that right off the top for him to specifically point to to media personnel camera operators people that are there because they they love the technical aspects sound operators yes there's reporters there as well for for them to get basically do, do you think he is talking to them oh totally i, I mean think he's every, talking to the uh news no, he, actors. Is, he is but the the the, the crowd were they, they straight up turned around and and like started yelling at media personnel um and straight up was like just hammering down on them and stuff and and it's like it, it feels like to me, and it, you know, obviously, I'm a little biased in this, admittedly. But whenever the media says something that uh, is is true, while it's true, it puts them in a in a false light or a bad light or whatever. It's it's always fake, and it's against the the the, the bad media. And you mm-hmm. know, this is one of those things where he's just feeding into this anger. He's feeding into this hate. And, yeah, yeah. and that's the part that he's, really is scary to me. He's capitalizing on their bankrupt uh, trust. Right. And he's able to reframe every – he's able to reframe each situation using that bankruptcy that, in a way they've earned on their own. Uh, I'll tell you what. There's another form of bankruptcy. It's political bankruptcy that we seem to be in. So we have the uh, – we have these horrible things happen. And uh, when, I say the, when I say the word identity politics, does it trigger you? You get the triggered identity politics. So this is what the Democrats have been getting slammed for doing is creating identity politics, which is getting everybody riled up over these things um, as 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 an issue that they feel like they could win on. Mm. And uh, I, I find it to be reprehensible because it's so ham fisted the way they try it because they're they're so detached from the people. So take Nancy Pelosi, your good friend. Oh, my buddy. Yeah. She uh, she is now using this political momentum around all of this to shut down legitimate free speech. Uh, she's 
so it's really getting abused on all sides. She shut down a pro-Trump rally uh, by by telling local authorities that it was a white supremacist rally. Um, and it, it well, you have to hear this clip to hear how ridiculous that is. Some members of Congress are seizing on the events of last weekend to demand a rollback of freedoms in this country. House Minority Leader Nancy Pelosi, not surprisingly, is at the forefront of that. She's calling on the National Park Service to block a scheduled Patriot Prayer Rally in San Francisco. She calls it a white supremacist event that will promote violence. Joey Gibson would know because he's the rally's organizer and he joins us tonight. So let's be totally honest with one another, Joey. I'm sure you're going to be denounced as a white supremacist. Everybody seems to be now. Are you? A white supremacist and is this rally a white supremacist rally absolutely not actually i'm not white we have about eight speakers and only one speaker is white I love um, that. you know we have a couple black speakers uh hispanic we have a transsexual speaker we have a woman speaker it's very diverse you know it's really it's really just about what's on the inside you know what you believe you know your heart your so i i play this clip to point out that we are now entering a a zone that is very twisted and dark where we're going to start shutting down speech that uh, obviously shouldn't be shut down um just by the way the permit has been approved yeah oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah if i yeah, play the rest of the clip yeah, yeah he would say that yeah. I, my my point is I I think this is a very, very shitty sort of dark way, twisted way for politicians to shut things down is to claim, well, it's white supremacy. And what what information did she have? Where did she get that information? How did she come up with that? It's it's dirty. And it's not just her. Well, it's, it's, it's not a, just her. It, well, and, you know, the thing is, though, the, the First Amendment will eventually slap her in the head. And you you just can't i don't know man i think they've been doing this kind of crap for years right i think this is just an opportunity for us to analyze it i think these kind of i think these kind of tactics have been used to shut down speech for a while but it's just sort of the characters change and the situations change a bit right you know what never changes either is the situation in afghanistan it just keeps getting worse and worse We are about three hours away from President Trump's first major policy address. In it, we will learn his strategy for dealing with America's longest war. Expectations are he will allow his commanders to increase the U.S. military presence in Afghanistan, something he has strongly opposed in the past. The address also gives President Trump a chance to reset after one of the most difficult weeks of his presidency. Yeah, it also gives him ownership of the Afghanistan war now. This is now becoming his war. 16 years, um, over 3,500 troops lost, just just not even counting contractors. Um, and Trump announced this in a really sort of logical loop kind of way that we've heard many times before. President Trump says he's lifted restrictions on U.S. forces fighting terrorist groups in Afghanistan. In a long-awaited speech, he said there's no deadline for a withdrawal and any change in troop numbers will be kept secret. We will also expand authority for American armed forces to target the terrorist and criminal networks. We will not talk about numbers of troops or our plans for further military activities. So let's stop right here. What do you think of that? It's, it's a very it's 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 a sim, it's it's a it's a similar thing to what Obama said about Afghanistan a few years ago when he made the same similar speech. Um, There's not there. What's the difference? But they so what's well? Not, they say they're not going to talk about troop numbers uh, because they're going to raise the troop number. But then they announce they're going to raise them by four thousand. But so then they tell us the number, right? After the speech, where he says they're not going to tell us the number. Now what what has so here's the here's the huge shift 
this is, I think, the biggest shift ever, really, is it is now the direct control of the military when they ramp up and when they withdraw troops. It's no longer going to be approved by the presidency. Right. This is something they've, they're changing now. Okay, let's cross now uh, to Samira Khan, live from Washington, get some more. I'll stop here. So, uh, so they've authorized them to increase troops as they need. And Trump swears we're not nation building. No, we're setting goals. Or when that will ever happen. America will continue its support for the Afghan government and the Afghan military as they confront the Taliban in the field. Ultimately, it is up to the people of Afghanistan to take ownership of their future, to govern their society, and to achieve an everlasting peace. So that's ultimately what one of the goals is. So what, what he says is we're not, we're not doing this time frames anymore. We're doing this goal-based. We are a partner and a friend, but we will not dictate to the Afghan people how to live or how to govern their own complex society. We are not nation-building again. We are killing terrorists. The next pillar. So we are not nation-building again. We are killing terrorists. But uh, here's the problem. So he says we're going to have conditions for withdrawal. We're not going to stay there forever, but instead of having time-based, we're not going to have time anymore. We're going to have conditions. And we're not going to talk about how many troops. So the Pentagon will monitor the conditions, and they will determine when the right time is to amp up the troops and withdraw them. But we're not going to nation build. Well, that doesn't make any fucking sense. Right, You can't have one without the other. Right, because the goals obviously are going to be stability before you withdraw. And the only way to get stability is to stabilize a political infrastructure and, and a government. That? You do that by nation building. So yeah. 16 years in... It's. it's got- I, th- I think he just tried to hammer in on, on a on a point that we've talked about on the show, the overall uh, nation building thing. You know, the uh, it was the Bush clip, the classic Bush clip. You know, talking about what was Rumsfeld and, and going in through the different countries. We're going to hit this. We're right. going to hit this. Yeah. We're going to hit this. Yeah. yeah. Well, he must have picked up on a meme talking about nation building, so he's going to say, "Oh, we're not doing that." But what it is that is because yeah. he's tweeted for years. You go back, I've seen tweets back to 2011 where he's bitching about nation building in Afghanistan. <laughs> That's what that is. Yeah. Uh, so, so what would be considered a success in Afghanistan? This clip explores that question. Yeah! Prepare! Do you believe that we're not winning in Afghanistan? Sir, I understand win. the urgency. I like, it's I like my to responsibility. win. Uh, we're not winning in Afghanistan right now. And we will correct this uh, as soon as possible. It's our longest war. We've been there for many years. We've been there for now close to 17 years. And I want to find out why we've been there for 17 years, how it's going, and what we should do in terms of additional ideas. The president has made a decision, as he said. Uh, He wants to be the one to announce it to the American people. So I'll stand silent until then, until that point. Well, the president will not be silent tonight, issuing this uh, primetime address on Afghanistan. Our team at the Pentagon coming up with some confirmation from U.S. officials saying the president has signed off on sending an additional 4,000 troops to Afghanistan. A big part of tonight's speech uh, said to include asking the region to do more, India, Pakistan to do more, to bring the Taliban to the negotiating table, and also holding Pakistan accountable uh, for attacks in its country and continuing to support 
the Taliban. As you take a look at this chart of U.S. troops in Afghanistan from 2009, 51,000, the peak at 100,000 U.S. troops on the ground there in 2011, and the current level at 8,400. And according to sources, again, that goes up to almost 13,000 uh, when all is said and done. Let's bring in our panel. Uh, the other thing that's interesting is uh, I went back, I linked it in the show notes. I watched Obama's 2009 announcement about ramping up 30,000 troops in Afghanistan. And he says almost all the same stuff about the government, about how Pakistan needs to step up the fight against terrorism, about uh, setting goals and conditions instead of time frames. Mm. Like he says all the same stuff in that speech and it's linked in the show notes. It's it's really creepy to, to watch that. So, yeah, what does what does success mean? Well, you know, Trump said something that was interesting as well. Um, he said that uh, they announced a economic deal with Afghanistan. Did you hear about this? No. Yeah. It's, so they they announced and I don't know if I actually have a clip of it without having to play the whole damn thing. But um, they announced a deal where there's there's going to be a trade of some of the really, really juicy resources some people estimate up to a trillion dollars worth of resources. Jeez. The sale of those resources will be the Afghanistan government will pay a portion back up to the U.S. government. So we're going to get a cut. We're going to get our piece. And we're going to use that to help pay for some of this. What do I always say? What do you always say, Chase? What do I always say? What, what do you always say? Show me the money! Jesus! Yeah, there's a trillion dollar oh. trove of rare minerals in Afghanistan. Plus, you got the poppies. Of course, the opium. Yeah. Which is doing better than ever. Selling like crazy. The, 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 that farm industry is doing better than it ever has. It's awesome. Man. Good for them. Really good for them. Huge. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, Very huge. So that's, uh, that's, that is, I, 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 I don't, so Bannon thinks that the globalists got to Trump. I think the business people got to Trump and said there's a trillion dollar worth. Yeah, there's, worth of, there's a lot of money. And if the U.S. pulls out, l- listen, Mr. President, we don't like it any more than anybody else does. Um, but uh, here's the situation. If the U.S. pulls out Iran or China or Russia or India, China and India would love to have that for their manufacturing industries. They're just going to swoop in there, and they're going to try to control the territory. And so it might as well be us. Yeah. We, can get it, we can secure the energy resources. We still have that pipeline we've been wanting to build forever. So it might as well be us. And he sits down and goes, a trillion dollars? with, re- Yeah, Mr. President, we think the United States government could make $60 billion a year. So, so I mean, uh, there's been some good chat in the Discord about this, but I, but I wonder if uh, they're going to do kind of like uh, Axiom Max is saying, kind of like a North Korea thing where, you know, we, we, yeah, we'll help Afghanistan out, we'll be there, we'll set up some bases kind of like we have in South Korea. So we can keep an eye on Pakistan because Pakistan has nukes. Yep. Also, uh, it's Iran is uh, troublesome, and of yeah. course, uh, you know when you've got uh, allies like Saudi Arabia, it's not bad to have your own facilities over there. And of course, you never know how things are going to go with Israel. And why not just keep the close eye on Syria too? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, and by the way, Iraq. And, and you know the electricity's cheap. I mean, <laughs> yeah. oh, Chase, My, man, Chris. You know what? Who knows? I know. You know what else? It's time for the patrons. Reclaiming my time. (laughs) Thank you. Yes. Thanks. Yes. Reclaiming my time. That's right. It's time for the sack. And it's it's been a while. So I had to, uh, you know, wake up Club 33 and hey, Club 33, send me your messages to my sack over at patreon.com slash unfilter. This week, Mr. Warm Waffles writes in. And we didn't talk about it on the show this, uh, this week. Maybe you got something in the overtime. But he said, hey. 
I've been wondering about net neutrality. Oh. Some and I have some. Uh, uh, let me re- re- try that again. It's been a while. I've been wondering about net neutrality for some time, and I've been having some bacon for you guys. Here you go. Here's some bacon. And I'm not in favor of abolishing net neutrality, but this has been bugging me. I have a hypothesis that if net neutrality goes away, it will actually be worse for telecoms because then state governments can enact laws around what goes on. Now, telecom companies have to lobby with 50 entities instead of just one. And if, say, a few states come in and enact their own version of net neutrality, for better or worse, I would think the telecoms would be lazy and pick the lowest common denominator. If the FCC wants Congress to regulate it, then telecoms still have to spend way more lobbying with all the representatives. Telecom lawyers wouldn't be the ones on the panel making decisions anymore. Instead, it would be elected representatives by the people. Or... It could go just south, and Congress passes a law saying that it defers everything to the FCC without due process. Food for thought. Hmm. Good one. Good one. Yeah, I know this. This whole net neutrality thing. I. Uh, it was just. Uh, I think it was yesterday that the FCC is being forced. They didn't want to release all like forty five thousand uh, net neutrality complaints. They were trying to spin it mm-hmm. off by saying, "Oh, there wasn't any official complaints." So yeah, it's a great topic. It I'd is. Love to talk we'll about be watching more. Yeah. Yeah. Hey, if you have your thoughts and you're a Club Thirty Three member, head over to unfilter dot com slash unfilter. I'm sorry. Patreon. Patreon.com slash unfilter. I caught that. And uh, by the way, even if you're not a part of Club Thirty Three, I do want to say. That I know I did get a little flack a couple weeks ago for, you know, kind of being a little hardcore as far as, you know, hey, if you're not supporting the show, blah, blah, blah. I got some some great feedback personally, privately, well-written, thought-out feedback about it. I do want to say thanks to all those who did heed my call and, and jump on board. Yeah, we had a great board. turnout. We, we had, had a, a great turnout. We're just moments away, too, from everybody's call-out if you became a patron since our episode two weeks ago. And the great thing, too, is a lot of people, and I suggested this to you, Chris, hey, we need to, you know, if we're going to put out something, let's put out something exclusive for our patrons. We did it. And they loved it. Yeah, and you can become a patron at any point and get access to that exclusive episode. Yeah, and we'll Which do is more also of kind of a fun beta test. If we get to our next milestone, some of the stuff we did in that patron-exclusive episode episode will be some of the framework we use for the uh, supplemental so it was a good test that way so thank you everybody for your support we're trying to get to our next milestone at patreon.com slash on filter that's right and uh, i want to see i want to see more of you guys in there in the club 33 i know we have a lot of great club 33 in there that's your time to shine i I love to hear from you guys we read it on the show even if if you don't want it read on the show but you want to give feedback Feel free to put in there and just say, please don't read, and I won't mm, do it. Okay. So, yeah. Club 33, love to yeah. have you. I'll give a plug, too. You heard Chase just mention it a moment ago. We have a Discord chat set up with an unfilter room. You go to discord.me slash Colony. That's where you'll find all kinds of chat channels, including some voice channels if you want to do that. But we have a text unfilter chat, which is up on our video recording right now. We'll be tweaking how that looks on future videos and whatnot. We're just beginning to experiment. I literally set this up just a little bit before the show. So you ready for the high note, Mr. Chase? Yes, it's time to relax. Yes, uh, this is uh, an interesting one I copped over on the... Uh, I had to recently renew my... Uh, <laughs> I guess I, I can give a... I, I don't really want to say how I get some of these clips because if somebody reports me, they'll shut me down. But there's a service that I use to just, get... Yeah, I know what you're talking about. I would just yeah. say that there's you have access. There's a service access. I use that gets me access to the BBC. You have access. And uh, so, you know, I, and I recently renewed it, so I was making sure I got my value. <laughs> and uh, I found interesting positive coverage on the cannabis topic. Oh, yeah. Cannabis, weed, skunk. Call it what you will. 
for many people, it's a common sight at music festivals, house parties, and frankly, your local town centre. It's the most commonly used illegal drug in Britain, and last year in England and Wales alone, over 2 million people admitted taking it, even though being caught could land you in prison. So if 2 million admit to an illegal thing, how many do you think are doing the illegal thing that don't admit? Uh, 5 million. (laughs) But all over the world, attitudes to cannabis are changing. These countries have decriminalised the drug, meaning if you're caught with a small amount of weed, you're not going to jail. Some have gone further and legalised it. And if you want to see things changing at pace, look at North America. In the US, 21 states have decriminalised small amounts of cannabis for personal consumption, and eight have gone further, legalising recreational use. But the place that many are watching is Canada, with the country set to legalise the drug next year. So with all this happening around the world, some in the UK are asking, cannabis, time for a change? Interesting. Piece. Coming up next on BBC Newsbeat. It's uh, and there's 30 minutes left to this. Wow, if it's a full special. Yeah, if you are a supporter at the level that gets you access to the sink and you want to check this out, or maybe you could just I don't know. BBC has it on demand. Uh, or, in your or, area. Yeah, or or you uh, you could use a VPN and you, you could, could possibly you could. You use could. iPlayer. Maybe possibly. Uh, so check that. It's, it was a good. It's, it's cannabis. Uh, time for a change, and it's by BBC Newsbeat. If you'd like to watch the rest, or just get it in our supporter sink. Uh, okay, so. <laughs> I knew this was going to happen. In fact, I'm almost positive we nearly red booked this. I know we joked about it. And uh, we're going to get into the church of cannabis here for a moment. But it starts It starts, It starts. starts with a more somber story. It's not a church about cannabis, but a pastor going out on, a, on an edge, on a ledge, for, a, for one of his sheep, Chase. All right. When it comes to marijuana. Oh, wait, I played the wrong one. Well, okay. <laughs> that was a good setup. Hi, that yeah. was a good setup. That was a good setup, but uh, that's okay. Maybe, you know what? Maybe I'll try to play it in the overtime. Uh, I'll play this one instead. This is this is good. So this guy did create a church to smoke pot. So this is probably more fun anyways. This is more. This is a funnier one. I'll play the other one in overtime. This guy, uh, this guy has created a church not to sell pot. No, no. But just to give you a place to smoke pot, because if you come to Denver to smoke some pot and you buy it, you learn very quickly there's no way Nowhere to go. you got to smoke it at a private residence or perhaps a place of worship. Colorado oh. has some of the most relaxed laws in the country. As long as you're at least 21 years old, a person can have up to an ounce of pot in his possession. But it must be consumed in private. But my next guest believes cannabis should be used in a spiritual setting to help people elevate themselves to a higher level. And he's opened the International Church of Cannabis in Denver. Steve Burke joins me now. So, Steve, is cannabis God to you? So this guy here is IFB. It's horrible. If you don't have headphones on, you might not be able to hear it. But, yeah, Uh. it's so annoying. And you can tell it's throwing him a little bit, too. Uh, so this guy is, how would you, smarmy? Is that a good way to describe smarmy? him? Smarmy? He, he doesn't feel like that's quite it. Uh, you can tell he's not taking this very seriously, though. A lot of grease. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's not taking this very seriously. And so this would have been a really funny segment if this guy, other guy was obviously in it for fun. But this guy's taking the total serious tact, and it's, it's kind of awkward. So first, let me, let me correct a misconception that you might have stated. None of us worship weed. Okay. Much of our congregation, which we call elevationism, elevationists believe that an individual's spiritual journey and search for fulfillment 
is personal journey for them that can be heightened and deepened with ritual cannabis use. <laughs> so we don't worship weed. We believe cannabis is a sacrament that can help you elevate your life and elevate your understanding of yourself. Got it. So it's a marijuana church, so to speak. So people come to the church for church services. Put that in air quotes, by what the way. What would they do when they came into the church? So we hold our services on Friday evenings, and uh, elevationists are allowed to bring their own cannabis into the church. So you can still go to church on Sunday, and you get to go chill out after work. You get to start off a good weekend. And we don't (laughs) preach any singular dogma at our church. We're an interfaith church. We have people of all different religious backgrounds and faiths. And basically, we've created a spiritual home for people to use cannabis in their own spiritual journey to help them elevate their lives. Dude, this sounds like such a stoner pipe dream. Like, hey, man, I got an idea. Dude, 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 what, what dude, we, hey, dude, what, hey, dude, 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 all right, all right. What <laughs> if we created a church, right? We right, sell right. marijuana <laughs> at the church? The church does not sell marijuana. The church does not sell any bongs or pipes or anything like that. We're really just a spiritual home for adults everywhere who use cannabis as a way to elevate their lives for spiritual purposes. Now, I'm sure you're aware, cannabis, the cannabis plant has existed for thousands of years. And there are ancient <laughs> Chinese manuscripts that refer to cannabis <laughs> being used for spiritual purposes. All right. So that, that was fun. That was fun. Oh, um, man. But it's not cannabis churches that's going to spread cannabis. What oh. do we always say, Chase? Show me the money. <laughs> yeah, I guess I don't got to play it again. But yeah, this is what's going to spread it like like a weed. Um, and uh, I don't have to say it. Chase doesn't have to say it. Listen to this city official say it. As we mentioned, 23 ABC News at 5. Kern County is still figuring out how to regulate marijuana since the passing of Prop 64. This, as California City is now preparing for its first big business boom. 23 ABC's Chloe Nordquist talked to city officials oh, about... Side note, before they dig into this, Look up Tom Scott on YouTube. Everybody loves him. You know, he does the you know things you should know. He did this great special about the history of California City. I highly recommend huh. it. It's great. California City is like it's a great story. Check it out. But so there's that new yeah. proposition that passed, and uh, it means there's new regulations around how you can sell it and how you can grow it, and there's some big money coming in. Oh yeah. ABC's Chloe Nordquist talked to city officials about how they're planning for the addition of dozens of medical marijuana businesses. Dirt and trees, that's all you and I see out here right now, but soon this could be all marijuana cultivation and manufacturing. A lot of this across approximately 4,000 acres of land. That's about six times the size of downtown Bakersfield. JBL Cannabis Farm. They had to get somebody who sounds like a stoner. Yeah, again, a cannabis farm. Yeah, we're going to grow pot. Bakersfield. JBL Cannabis Farm is going to be right here. Everything you see out through here. David Stafford is building an indoor grow park on his 150-acre lot northwest of the city center. So this guy owns 150 acres. Yeah. And he's going to turn it into a pot farm. California City is uh, a larger city, one of the largest cities by geography in the United States, actually in California for for sure. Yeah. Yeah. They have a lot of land. And they they have a huge problem. They have a huge problem. And that problem is money. Yep, because there's no industry to bring in tax dollars and revenue for that town. Yeah, so this gets a little bit into that. The city has awarded dozens of business licenses to marijuana companies and plans on awarding dozens more, all coming to town in the next year. An idea city manager Tom Wheel wasn't even considering a year ago. This is, and what this, this is going to happen 
everywhere. Oh, yeah. And here's the problem. There's, uh, there's more and more industries that are going to get automated, so they're going to generate less revenue for states. There's more and more industries that are going to go away, like malls and shopping centers. It's, it's, this is going to be one of the growth industries, one of the growth industries of the United States. And you would be negligent not to get on this money. Listen to the numbers here. Tom Wheel wasn't even considering a year ago. Until a grower came in and gave us a perspective of what the potential of tax revenue could possibly be. In June, the city passed a new marijuana business tax, a tax that could bring in up to $15 million a year. Okay, not bad. That's not nearly what we make here in Washington. Um, turns out it's it's way more than they ever make in total in tax revenue. In the long term, it's going to be a game changer for our community because we have historically lived off a parcel tax. The parcel tax previously brought in $7.5 million a year. So they, this one industry one, is, yeah. is going to bring in more money in tax revenue than they have been able to scrounge together with their, with their typical, uh, what you call it? Property Parc- tax, parcel yeah, tax. Parcel tax. That's, for their whole town. That's going to that I mean those that's when we've been saying like the thing the thing is these numbers are so fundamental to these places that they just have no choice. And it is an industry that is giving jobs, it's equipment, it brings in a whole bunch of infrastructure like water and power and sewer. So it it also industrializes areas that otherwise would have just been vacant. I mean it's so damn attractive. Bringing up to 15 million dollars a year. In the long term it's going to be a game changer for our community because we have historically lived off a parcel tax. The parcel tax previously brought in $7.5 million a year. This is going to boost the city like it's never been boosted. Lots of land that once sold for eight to 12000 now fifty to 80000 yeah. <laughs> Property yeah. is going up. Yeah, that's the thing. This is the first enterprise that actually come into Cal City that is going to be here. Things will build around it. It'll all come to this town because of the structure and infrastructure we're putting in. Yep. So it's not even just the revenue. It's no. the infrastructure, yeah, too. It's a big deal. It's going to be huge. Huge, huge You deal. know what else is huge? What's huge? The love for our community. Join yes, us. big hugs. Join at discord.me slash Jupiter Colony. Get in the unfilter room and then hang out with us live next week. We'll be over jblive.tv. We do this show on a Wednesday. We'll be a tad later next week. Uh, live-wise, because Mr. Chase will be a little bit delayed. So I'll probably shift the start of the live show a little bit late. Okay. So just prepare for that if you're typically a live viewer, giving you a little heads up. But there still will be a show. Yes, there will be. Absolutely. Yeah, so we'll still be here. Thank you very much to our supporters over at patreon.com slash unfilter. Don't forget that overtime's coming up. But if you got to head out of here, Mr. Chase, where can they find you? They can find me in my Discord, too. Oh. GGTVDiscord.com <laughs> is a place where gaming geeks get together, and I can't find another g word but anyway yes check and it geek out, out? I and geek out there you yeah. go and you can check out your blog right or i call your it a blog because it's a blog. video blog, video blog i yes. think that's what the kids call it these days yeah those millennials youtube.com slash chris fisher if you're on the twitter or just want to see what's going on and just read the feed follow the network at jupiter signal on the twitters send us your feedback jupiterbroadcasting.com slash contact get in, t- in like a like an email into the show that you want us to review, and then if you want us to read it on the air, join Club Thirty Three and get in Mister Chase's sack when oh, he opens a thread the next week. Yeah, that's yes. right. It's a good place to be. It's a nice, warm place. All right, everybody. Thanks so much for tuning to Two Forty Eight this week. We appreciate you being here. Enjoy the overtime if you're sticking around. Otherwise, we'll see you right back here next, next week. week.
don't change that dial. Yeah, I said it. It's overtime time! Brought to you by our patrons. Patreon.com slash unfilter. And I know that each of you understand you have the power. Stay woke! 33 of you have the power. How about that? 33 new patrons since our last episode two weeks ago. Thank you to KJ, William, Simon, Baskin, Matt, Colin, Brenda, Joe, Alan, Unjan, Just Me, Summer, Ryan, Dom, Corey, Tiffany, Amy, Scott, Peter, Hunter, Bradley, Brandon, Mr. T, Andy, Dan Bright, Thor, Jolson L, James, Sir Charles, with a Z, Dean, Alex, Keeneth, and James. You guys are our new patrons. I see it. I think I think I recognize like one or two of those as you guys are coming back too. Thank you for coming back. Wow. Woo! Well, then I better put together a good overtime for you because this is the segment that is dedicated to our patrons, patreon.com slash unfilter, dedicated to the made possible by them. And that magic 33 number, new 33. 33. That's a magic number. Thank you guys for uh, supporting us. We really appreciate it. And uh, let's jump right into the overtime. There is so much to cover in the O'Nancy segment where we document the rot of the corporatist Democratic Party run by Nancy Pelosi, Chuck Schumer, and of course now famous, famously, Anti-Maxine has been getting lots of recognition. But we'll get there. First, we must start with harsh words for racism. What we saw yesterday was the president clearly... I'm sorry, the what? The the, the who? I'm sorry, who did you say? I I couldn't understand your words again. Say that again. What we saw yesterday was the president clearly demonstrating that he doesn't know right from wrong, true from false, American patriotism from white nationalism. Very sad for our country. But I think you hear it, you hear... A deafening silence from most of my Republican colleagues in terms of identifying the president's uh, comments yesterday. I hope that we will hear more from them. The issue of impeachment is one that I have not uh, promoted. Uh, I believe that the, the, as one has served a long time on the Ethics Committee, it's about the law and the facts. Okay. The law and the facts. All right, so let's focus on law and facts today. Let's focus on law and facts. Trump is a racist, and that's a fact according to Nancy Pelosi. So then we must also accept by that same association logic that Hillary Clinton is a racist. Today our country has lost a true American original, my friend and mentor Robert C. Byrd. Senator Byrd was a man of surpassing eloquence and nobility. Oh, really? Oh, really? Robert C. Byrd left such a legacy. Really? You know, Hillary, you are so... What's wrong with the Democrat Party right now? You, Hillary, are why they are losing. There are white niggers. I've seen a lot of white niggers in my time. I'm going to use that word. Byrd wrote a letter in 1946 in which he asserted that the Klan is needed today more than ever. So that's her mentor there. Oh, so what about that? So are we doing? Are we going to do this association guilt? Because even Bill admits it. Now, know this. Everybody else has been canonizing Senator Byrd. I'd like to humanize him a little bit. 
because I think it makes him more interesting and makes his service all the more important. Liar. You're doing it to cover your wife's legacy, to cover her ass. That's why you're doing it. Oh, man. And you're using his eulogy to do it, too. That's so dirty. There are a lot of people who wrote these eulogies for Senator Byrd in the newspapers, and I read a bunch of them. That's right. They mentioned that he once had a fleeting association with a Ku Klux Klan. What does that oh, mean? Oh, what? I'll tell oh, you what? what it means. He was a country boy from the hills and hollows of West Virginia. He was trying to get elected. Not what you expected him to say, is it? He's just admitting it. And this is how the Clintons use history to reframe their crimes. And so the fact that Hillary associated with this guy, that's no big deal. He just did it because, you know, it's politics. And maybe he did something he shouldn't have done. And he spent the rest of his life making it up. And that's what a good person does. Oh, is that what you do, Bill? Is that what you do? You rape some women and you're making it up? Hmm. Speaking of the Clintons, I always think Uma's an odd character. Hillary Clinton's failed presidential campaign is long over, but one of her top aides is still getting paid. Federal Election Commission filings show Huma Abedin has been paid nearly $65,000 in campaign money since November, going through late June. And she's not the only one still being paid. Clinton's former press secretary and another aide are also getting checks. Hillary still runs it like she's a, a government official, if you read some of the accounts. She gets daily briefings. She gets reports when things happen on major events. Um, $65,000 towards Uma since the election. Since the election. Damn. It's good to work for Hillary. I mean, and you know, that's just the straight-up salary, right? That doesn't count all of the crazy transportation perks, the access you get by being a celebrity, all of the insider information. I mean, none of that stuff is, none of that stuff is even in that total. It's really something. Uh, now, so, although, let's move off of Clinton. She's getting less and less relevant every day. Let's move on to somebody getting much, much, much more relevant, and that would be Maxine Waters. Maxine Waters has struck again. The California congresswoman has become a celebrity on the left lately for a willingness to say bizarre things that seem at times untethered from reality. She's a particular dislike, apparently, for HUD Secretary Ben Carson, weirdly. A month ago, she vowed to, paraphrasing here, take apart his rear end. Now she's vowing further harassment. Watch this. Ben So what exactly about Ben Carson makes Maxine Waters so mad? Is it HUD policies or is it something else? Jumani Williams is a New York City councilman and he joins us tonight. Councilman, thanks all for coming on. Thanks for having me. I don't know if you've ever talked to Ben Carson. Um, You probably don't agree with some of the things he says, but he couldn't be a nicer man, a more gentle person. You saw him during the debates. I mean, it's, it's very hard to think of anyone being mad at Ben Carson. And yet Maxine Waters really is focused on him. Now, I don't like this. I don't like any of this. But that is interesting. It is interesting. But she can't. Maxine don't care. She ain't got time for that. She's too busy being a big time celebrity. Maxine Waters walks up on stage. Mouths wow. Waters. Atsi Maxine. For your dedication to truth and justice, for the way you keep it real all the time. That's right. Woo! 
for your gospel hit, I'm reclaiming my time. Reclaiming my time. But she didn't sing the gospel Please version. Except the Black Girls Rock Social Humanitarian Award. You, you rock. rock. Oh. Yes, Maxine. Yes. Stay warm. Good evening, everyone. To Beverly Bond, the founder of Black Girls Rock, and Deborah Lee, the chairman and CEO of BET, I'm extremely grateful for the recognition that I'm receiving this evening. Uh, Max, excuse me. Claiming my time, but I want you to know if it was not for the love and respect shown to me by black women, those right wing, ultra conservative, alt right haters. They would have me believe I'm too black. Oh shit. I'm too confrontational. Oh shit. I'm too tough. Uh-oh. And I'm too disrespectful of them. Oh. But now no. I know what I'm you know? simply a strong black woman. Woo. We have influence. We can do things that others have told us we can't do. Oh. I don't care how big you are. I don't care how high you think you are. If you come for me, I'm coming for you. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. Woo. And so, whether it's the president of the United States of America or any of his cabinet, we will say to them, we will resist you. That's right. We will not allow you to damage this country in the way that you're doing. We will not allow you to take us backwards. Not only will we resist you, we will impeach you, Mr. President. And so, I know that you are as inspired as I am this evening. How about that, huh? Are you inspired right now? I want you to know that I said, and I'll say it over and over again, there reclaiming we go. my... That's right. Reclaiming my time. That's right. You reclaim it. I love you all. Yeah. Thank you. Apparently, ladies and gentlemen, that's what it takes to be a successful politician. Got the video feed on this next one here working. Uh, so I just gave the Democrats a hard time there. But, you know, I do think they could have one potential winner. One potential winner in their ranks. And she's getting a little more fired up and ready to go. Speculation continues to grow that Senator Elizabeth Warren may run for the presidency in 2020. In a speech, she said progressives have won the battle for the soul of the Democrat Party. Joining us now, Kelly Ayotte, former Republican senator from New Hampshire. Uh, Ma'am, would you like to see... Senator Elizabeth Warren as the candidate for the Democrats, as a Republican yourself. Do you want to see her representing the Democrats? I actually think it would be a favor to Republicans because I don't see 
<laughs> Senator Warren appealing to the states, especially that Donald uh, President Trump won. Oh, you're if wrong. If you think about Michigan, no, no, Ohio, no. Pennsylvania, wrong. Those. Uh, yeah, you could you could name a few uh, strongholds if you want, but uh, Trump won because he wasn't Hillary. Trump won because he was the populist candidate, and that's exactly what she would go for. She'd go for the populist candidacy, and I think she would win. She'd probably be a lot cheaper than President Trump to protect too. The Secret Service faces a cash crunch. As Man, the mainstream media loves this. 18 members of the yeah. president's family. 18 members, guys. The agency says it will reach salary and overtime caps at the end of the month of September. Jeff Pegues is in Washington with how that agency is calling on lawmakers for help. Who? Jeff, good morning. Hey, Jeff. Good morning. The Secret Service is asking Congress to raise the combined salary and overtime cap for agents by nearly $30,000 a year for the remainder of President Trump's first term. But even if that kind of proposal were to pass, nearly 130 veteran agents would not be fully compensated for the hundreds of hours already worked. In the first seven months of the Trump administration, the Secret Service has been so busy that hundreds of agents will hit their maximum pay and not be eligible for overtime. In a statement, the director of the Secret Service admitted that roughly 1,100 employees will work overtime hours in excess of the statutory pay cap. Now, everybody loves a little OT, but... Um... When it's getting to the point where, like, you have to work the OT because, well, you got to protect the president, but you might not get paid, that doesn't create um, a good working environment, does it? Mr. Trump's presidency has also stretched the Secret Service's budget because of travel and more protectees. Under President Obama, 31 people were protected by the Secret Service. 31? Under President Trump, the number has risen to 42, and 42. that includes 18 members of the president's family. For example, in June, Mr. Trump's daughter, Tiffany, traveled to Berlin with her boyfriend. A Secret Service detail went with her at a cost of more than $22,000. Secret Service cheap. details have also shadowed Eric Trump and Donald Trump Jr. during sure. their business travel overseas. The cost of the Secret Service for those trips have topped at least $200,000. The Secret Service has also spent $64,000 to inspect elevators at Trump Tower and $73,000 on golf cart rentals at Trump properties. Now, you see how that is a much more ridiculous number? $22,000 to protect a daughter going traveling over, you know, uh, out of the country. That's one thing. Um, $73,000 for golf carts? Mmm, that's a little ridiculous. These type of problems with the budget have existed for decades. Yeah, Larry that's true. Johnson <laughs> that's is a probably retired very true. Secret Service agent. And now we're seeing, because of travel, they are uh, not only running out of overtime money, but they're also quality of life is taking a big hit. The Secret Service insists that agents are being paid and security has not been compromised, but the overtime issue isn't going to be solved until Congress passes a permanent fix. Gail. Thank you, Jeff. Wow. So that is, uh, boy, you got to make sure those guys get paid, right? <laughs> you, don't want, you don't want those guys not to get paid. All right, well, let's move here into the North Korea folder and get a little update. It's time for some news. North Korea may have blinked first in the nuclear standoff with the U.S. The leader Kim Jong-un has apparently decided to wait on a missile launch toward the U.S. territory of Guam. Senior foreign affairs correspondent Greg Palcott tells us where we are tonight. Back from the brink, for the moment at least, 
after North Korean officials presented plans to leader Kim Jong-un about launching missiles towards the U.S. territory of Guam, state media reported he decided to hold fire and, quote, watch a little more the foolish and stupid conduct of the Yankees. Are you buying that? Are you buying that? That was probably always the plan all along. Let's be honest. That was always the plan. Let's not kid ourselves here. That was always what they were doing. They were always just buying time. They were buying time. They were pressuring us. They were trying to negotiate. They reviewed the plans and decided, we're not going to crush the Yanks yet. Yeah, uh-huh. Uh-huh. Some say threats of military action by President Trump made the difference. In the past, we've not really uh, used that credible threat of military force, and, and that may have an impact uh, on, the, on the leader of North Korea. That message backed up by the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Dunford, today in Beijing, and Defense Secretary Mattis. Here in the Pentagon, uh, we are part of the Sentinels uh, for our nation, and we stand ready to defend our nation. Still talking tough, still some, some tough talk, and... Uh, that is leading to a bit of a dicey situation for diplomats in South Korea that want to make a difference. South Korea may send a special envoy to Pyongyang in the north if the north stops its uh, missile and nuclear tests. Meantime, the U.S. has taken a much harder line on the crisis there. As President Trump has made clear, the era of strategic patience is over. With regard to North Korea, all options are on the table. And the United States will continue to bring the full range of American power, economic and diplomatic, Hoorah! until North Korea abandoned its nuclear and ballistic missile programs. Those comments come despite the fact that North Korea earlier said it would hold off on strikes and Donald Trump called Pyongyang's decision very wise. Jacqueline Vuga next looks at how American policy seems to go against right now what the international community is pushing for. When it comes to foreign policy, it seems that Trump is trying to twist the knife into some of the most volatile international issues. North There's Korea. fire and fury for North Korea. Woo. While the international community is calling for de-escalation in the region, Trump is spouting some of the most aggressive rhetoric that's been heard Hello, in decades. And this man will not get away with what he's doing, believe me. They will be met with fire and fury like the world has never seen. The escalation in so they can sit here and they can they can hit him for it, but uh, at the same time, it does seem to have had some effect. Uh, at least North Korea is pausing for now. Keep watching this story while we're on the news. I guess train. <laughs> I don't know what kind of train. I guess it's a news train. Let's talk a little bit about Barcelona. Well, some brand new reports on the Barcelona attack say that the CIA warned local police of a potential terror attack two months ago. Yeah, so uh, were these warnings followed? Were they not? Could they have prevented this? Let's ask former CIA covert operations officer and the president of Diligence LLC. That's a global intelligence and security firm. Mike Baker. Mike, thanks so much for coming on early. This so the takeaway really, though, I mean, we could listen to this guy's analysis, but just to save us some time, I mean, the takeaway is the CIA knew possibly about these attackers ahead of time. Again, again. More news, a little more on Charlottesville. 
Day 207 of the Trump administration was truly unlike any other, not just for this president, but in the whole of presidential history. We have never had a president give Nazis the benefit of the doubt. Oh. We've never heard a president equate the white supremacy movement, the racists, the bigots, the Nazis, with those in moral opposition to their oh. message. Yeah. This was an emotional day for millions of Americans because we've never heard a president like this and we've never had a president like this. So anyways, MSNBC felt pretty good about Trump's um, press conference. I don't know if you could I don't know if you could tell that. Was that obvious? Was that was that obvious at all? Listen, speaking of Trump, uh, he's making murmurs, making making implications. Isn't he supposed to be playing golf right now? Why is this even happening? But uh, he is essentially saying that uh, it's worth shutting down the government to get his wall. Build that wall. Now, the obstructionist Democrats would oh. like us not to do it. But believe me, if we have to close down our government. We're building that wall. We need a better word than obstruction. of. You know, he's pretty good at this. You know, crooked Hillary, uh, low energy Jeb. Lion Ted, those are much more stinging. They sting, right? They really sting. They get to the core. Obstructionist Democrats, I feel like you could do better. Let me be very clear to Democrats in Congress who oppose a border wall and stand in the way of border security. You are putting all of America's safety at risk. You're doing that. The Senate, we have to get rid of what's called the filibuster rule. We have to. And if we don't, the Republicans will never get anything passed. You're wasting your time. What could go wrong? We have to get rid of the filibuster rule. Right now, we need 60 votes and we have 52 Republicans. That means that eight Democrats are controlling all of this legislation, we have over 200 bills. So he's out there doing his thing. You know, that's what he's best at is campaigning. He's out there doing it. Uh, CNN, though, they want to double down on this horrible response on Trump's part. And they put together a panel and they think this panel, even though they're generally poor, they're, they're you know, they're on the record. This panel is on the record as being a pro-Trump panel. This is like one of the go-to things CNN is doing now. Uh, but I don't think they expected it to go quite like this. Many of you, show of hands, were troubled by the president's response to the violence in Charlottesville. None of you minded how President Trump responded. No. 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 I didn't see anything wrong with it. I mean, he addressed a problem. I mean, let's face the reality. There are problems on both sides. Do you think that neo-Nazis and white supremacists are the same as those who are protesting them? I think it's ridiculous to have me choose between Hitler and Stalin, which is what I consider both groups are. And why yeah, are the exactly. people who turned out to protest Nazis, Not why are they Stalin to you? The Antifa group to me is totally a, a very Stalinish uh, kind of group. How so? If you're, if you're willing to set fires and burn places to the ground, that doesn't sound like a very peaceful group to me. But they didn't They're both use, the same evil. They didn't use those tactics in Charlottesville. Pardon. So then I blame the government. Why do you blame the governor? or the, That was a cut, by the way. The government for a white supremacist mowing down a crowd of people and killing <laughs> Because they didn't protect the people that day. Uh. The people who were marching with the signs. Do you see... Maybe she's talking about the cops being ordered to stand down by the governor. See them as neo-Nazis and white supremacists. I mean, it hasn't been investigated, so we really don't know who was out there. But I'm telling you, I've seen videos of other people who were out there who were not neo-Nazis. 
You believe that there were very fine people protesting? Yes, I do. How do you That's know right. that? I'm only telling you from videos that I've seen. That people but what's the source of your videos? Where are you seeing Facebook. Them? Anything that's not you, CNN, that's what she's saying. And, and when I tried to repost those videos, they wouldn't allow me. Is it possible they're not credible? Could be. But like I said, they need to investigate and find out exactly what was going on out there. She's talking about the police being ordered to stand down, but they've cut that out. Vice did an investigation of the people Vice. who went there with a purpose to oh, well, march for new Nazis. So let me just play a clip. This clip is being used by everyone. Vice, I hope Vice is getting paid for this. Every network's using this clip. So blood and soil was a Nazi slogan, and you heard them saying Jews will not replace us. Is it possible that very fine people were in that crowd? Not in that crew. Nope. But those very, those, those crazy I don't know what else to call them. I'm not, I probably can't say it on TV. But they still have the right to say those crazy things. That's- yeah, she's right. She's absolutely right. And I don't think CNN expected it to go this way. That's the night before the clash happened. The Antifa people, the protesters, they didn't show up Friday night. They showed up Saturday. These protesters showed People are informing themselves now. They're not getting their news from CNN. showed up the second day. They came there to do battle with them. They showed up with helmets, body armor, clubs. They showed up with balloons filled with urine. I think that's fascinating. Uh, we're going to keep moving, but the whole clip's in there. Um, yeah. Sometimes those panels go better. Sometimes they go awkward. Sometimes they get confrontational. Well, uh, my point of disagreement is that that was an excuse to bring these groups together. The local blogger who got the permit to protest the removal of the Robert E. Lee statue then blew this up. That was an excuse. Look at the and now look at even dead. how they got the permit. And can I finish, Simone? Will you just shut up for a minute and let me? Oh no! <laughs> Simone, will you just shut up for a minute? They'll. And- <laughs> Yo, no. Simone, will you just shut up for a minute and let me finish? Pardon me, sir. You don't get to tell America me to shut up on national and, and, television. And, and, hold on. Under no circumstances do you get to speak to me in that matter. You should exhibit some decorum. Can they stay civil? Hold on, guys. Both of you stop for a second. Simone, Simone, and under no circumstances do I Hold on a second. You need a reset. You need a reset. I love it. Okay, so that's CNN at its best right there. Um, of course, you guys know that I went and saw the eclipse, and uh, there was some really cool things going on up above us. No, not not the eclipse. I mean, that was really cool. That was more than cool. It was the NASA jets. I got to see some NASA jets doing some crazy stunts. Passengers on board an Alaska Airlines jet were among the first to witness the solar eclipse. They saw the phenomenon yesterday from more than 35,000 feet over the Pacific Ocean. Cool, right? NASA also had planes flying yesterday. Scientists gained a great deal of information flying high above the Earth. Time-lapse video from downtown Nashville captured the total eclipse from the ground. You can see the city disappear into darkness. David Begno is at the city's Adventure Science Center. David, good morning. Gail, good morning. You're not going to believe what happened here. Yesterday, right at the moment, when the moon was about to swallow the sun, at that exact moment... 
the clouds moved in and blocked, ruined that moment of totality for the people who were here watching. The only way to beat that, really, would be to get above it. And that's exactly where NASA was. That's a good idea. You ready? Yes, I am. Skirting above the clouds, a pair of NASA WB-57 planes flew in tandem yesterday on a research mission to unlock the secrets of the sun. Their precise telescopic cameras attached to the nose of each plane captured more than 29,000 photographs as the sun and moon moved into totality. To do it, NASA pilots traced the eclipse shadow path at 50,000 feet above Missouri, Illinois, Kentucky, and Tennessee. They had to be in the shadow together for about 10 seconds. For scientists in NASA's high-altitude research program, the results felt like sweet victory. They were able to chase a solar eclipse going 450 miles an hour, spaced 70 miles apart, and they hit their marks within seconds of one another so that we could get seven and a half minutes of totality compared to only two minutes, 40 seconds for someone standing on the ground. Isn't that incredible? In fact, where I was at, I think we only got a minute 48. Um, guess I needed three jets and to time it perfectly with a career and lifetime of training. And then I could have seen it for more than a minute 48. Uh, maybe next time, maybe in 2024. By the way, uh, I am seriously considering that. <laughs> of course, uh, you probably all saw people taking shots at Donald Trump over the eclipse. Welcome back. Unless you've been in the dark, or maybe I should say penumbra, recently. No. You probably know that today was eclipse day, and even politicians got excited. President Trump celebrated this astronomical occasion by viewing it from the Truman balcony at the White House with the First Lady. But as many have pointed out, it looks like he broke the one rule of eclipse viewing. Don't look at the sun without your eclipse glasses. Some other lawmakers got in on today's festivities also. Here's Senator Lindsey Graham prepping for the big moment. And Senator Sass throwing some serious shade warning, don't stare at Senator Graham's upper arms. Former Presidents George H.W. Bush and George W. Bush looked on with four generations of their family. Senator Steve Daines experienced the eclipse with VA Secretary Shulkin in Montana. Senator Murkowski was in a permafrost tunnel when peak totality hit in Alaska. Not exactly the best view. And in Kansas, Senator Moran showed us that that black squirrel statues are ready to go with their eclipse shades. Oh, politicians are so funny. They're so, so, so funny. Actually, you know who was legitimately funny? Honest to God funny? Really enjoyed his coverage? Shep Smith. Holy this crap. Total Eclipse of the Sun Watch 2017 on Fox News Channel. The, the excitement must be building and building like, like fireworks. If I put this here and my phone here, I have a total eclipse of the phone. Fascinating. <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, my God. The moon has gotten in front of this. Okay. Well, I... I I don't know. It's interesting looking. The sun looks a little like the moon up there in my wall. If you mention it, you got to sing it. Where the deer and the antelope play. Wow! Would you look at that? It's a total eclipse of the sun. And you look up at... They know this is all it's going to be, right? Just a, just a moon over a sun. Oh, the sun's coming back the now. are coming out. Oh, my goodness. That didn't last long. Yeah. I want to hear more. No, because now you can look at the thing. It's covered so you can look at it. Oh, my God. The sun is returning. Jalapeno. How was it? Response. Weird. Dark. Cold. Another dark. Amazing. I love nature. Amazing. 
I'm going to die now. And we <laughs> hope that doesn't happen. Oh. Want to see a total eclipse of this monitor? How about... Okay. It's totally eclipsed. I, well, we're having a good time, too. And there's some people who think we should take this a little more seriously on the Twitter. Because for us, this is just a lot of fun. We've been watching the path of totality so you can catch a DC on screen if you run. Do you know that it goes <laughs> like old NASA stuff Screw from the 70s whenever people. you move around? It's because of the sun. And then over on MSNBC, it's just, it's just sort of dark and vacant. They're not going to have a what is it? Totally not a total eclipse of the sun down <laughs> the sun is 400 times larger than the moon, but the sun is 400 times farther away from us than the moon, which works together nicely. So here it's a little darker than usual, but uh, it's not like dark. According to one legend from ancient China, China, people were scared that a dragon might eat the sun, which it's always something to consider. How was it? Was it everything? There you go. Shep was enjoying himself a little of solar eclipse. A little too much. Maybe maybe a few drinks with Le that, too. Yeah, a little too much. <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for being here. Hope you enjoyed the whole damn show. And we'll see you next week. Say goodbye, Chase. Bye, Chase.